Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that does, I think, what it says in the tin. It's best film ever. My name's Ian. I'm Ethan. And well, I guess that's kind of it. We're going to... I did have to reach out in case of emergency and break glass because Liam and Georgia, once again, are not with us. I don't know what's with that. Ethan's screen is frozen and I'm terrified I've lost him now. Oh, my word. I think I'm hoping he's going to pick that back up. I'm just going to vamp until that takes place. So one by one, it seems everybody's leaving. So we had uh, Georgia Nushu is going to be away. She's in a show. And then Liam got sick partway through the day and got a hold of me and said, I can't make it. He was feeling kind of rough. Probably what George and I both had last week. He picked up. And then so I kind of went to myself and went, well, what? This is episode 153, Scrooged, and there's a key message in it, basically a Christmas carol about family coming together. So in the spirit of Christmas, I decided... Hey, it's your sister! And so I reached out and said to my sister, hey, do you mind dropping everything you got going on on a Sunday and coming on the pod to talk a little Scrooged? And I was told, yes. So I guess, Kirsty, you can now unmute your microphone and join because you got to help me vamp until Ethan gets a hold of me and says what's going on with him. Ethan's internet is dropped. Hello, hello. Sorry, I just talked through your intro. But yeah, Ethan's Ethan's internet's dropped. So he's going to be back with us momentarily. But I'm just going to go ahead and keep... And keep rolling on. So you're all the way from Canada. Uh, Christmas tree, I'm sure, fully Christmas trees. Two Christmas trees this year? Two Christmas trees. Jeez. And plus the ones outside. I don't have anything up yet. So you're making rip up for, <laughs> for me in the universe. Mine went up Christmas Eve last year. And then it stayed on until the batteries died in the lights that I pre it was like It was like a pre-lit tree. And so yes. I said, I'm keeping this on until like these one little set of double A's. I kept them on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it lasted for about, I don't know, it was like January 17th when they finally died. So I was like, wow. it's not bad for a couple of double A's. I'll take that. You should just put um, Amazon on or YouTube on with a Christmas tree on it and have that going for some ambiance. There is something nice about, you know, it's Christmas Eve night and you're just walking through to get a cup of tea or something like that. Or we have a little night for a drink of water and it's lit and it's got, you've got that thing in the house. It's a little bit nicer than the, the the lovely tones of the 70 plus inch led tv um but yeah so there is that most nights i end my evening with a cup of tea by my christmas tree so all right that sounds that sounds really quite nice i have a cup of tea now because i'm trying to get over this 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 thing in my throat yeah oh there you go 
Starbucks coming. The problem is you've got the auto blur on your um, on your background setting. So that's because I'm in my spouse's office. Yep. And um, he his office is quite small, right? And it's quite cluttered. Right. So I think he. He set that up, and you know how technically savvy I am, so I'm not even going to try to remove it. Well, we do this whenever we do, like, parents' evenings. There's the option to unblur. Mine's a pretty, you know, it's like a slightly purple background and, uh, and just a couple oh, doors. I see how it- there we go. There you go. You figured it out because you wow, were holding your coffee. I, I should become an IT guy. There you go. It's, it's, it's that easy. That's the only trick. Once you've got this, you're trained. So you were holding your coffee cup up to the camera, but because it was at a different distance than your face had been, it was masking it using the technology. So Ethan's joined us again. I look forward to this. This is going to be one of those days, I guess. I hope not. It should, should be okay now. I don't know what's causing it because it's like, it's just, I keep having to unplug and replug my like Ethernet cable and then it's fine. Eek. Okay. You're wearing a fairly Christmassy or wintry at least looking jumper. Yeah. It's, well, apparently it's a, it's a winter jumper, but there, there's, there's reindeer on it. So I'm, it, it's my, it's my Christmas jumper. There you go. Um, so we have ugly Chris. Oh, Kirsty's wearing Christmas stuff too. I'm just wearing a brown jumper. That's all I'm wearing. <laughs> Um, my, uh, my work's doing, I think we're supposed to do an ugly jumper day on Wednesday. I don't have one. I went looking for one. Nothing really grabbed my fancy. Make one. I, I might just try a sticker and go Christmas and then it'll be like, this is my Christmas jumper. Just a bow. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So, um, take a bow, take a bow anyway. Uh, I wanna, <laughs> uh, if, if this is your first time catch us, this isn't a regular group. I mean, Ethan is <laughs> and I am. <laughs> But uh, Kirstie's not. We're missing Liam. We're missing Georgia. But we were all here last week when we talked about Avatar. We'll have some more thoughts about Avatar in a minute. And we also released our uh, interview, Georgia and I did, with the crew from Headless, where we were outnumbered three to two by them, which was amazing. And I'll say it again. If you haven't got a chance to go see Headless, the web series on YouTube for free, go check it out. It's really, really strong. And it's an adaptation, just like Scrooge. So if, you know, it does have to work for you where, well, it's hard in Britain because we don't really know the Sleepy Hollow story. And I was saying, cursed, in Canada, we didn't really know the Sleepy Hollow story either. We know of the Headless Horseman as an idea. Well, once Johnny Depp took on the character, oh, sorry, once Johnny Depp took on that character, it was more commonly known. In I never I never saw the film. big at the time. Oh, I never saw it. Okay, that's interesting, I, yeah. I think it was him and a blonde Winona Ryder. No, it was Christina Ricci. Oh, sorry. Well, I get those two mixed up all the time. I only know that because I think I was doing something for the interview and just I kept popping across that movie. So there we go. Um, let's go ahead and uh, give a shout out to the people who put a little love in our heart. And that's Yay. our Patreon backers. I'm talking. Ethan, you got to help me out with this one now. We're that's talking right. about Reverend Bruce. Bruce. We're talking about Julene. Julene. We're talking about Hermes. Hermes. We're talking about Lena Oberholzer. Oberholzer. <laughs> We're talking about Katie McRae. McRae. We're talking about Edson Ian Davies. Making it so. Hey, there we go. We're talking about Chris Peterson. Peterson. Randall Silva. What's your Twitter handle? We're talking about Dwayne Smith. Dwayne Smith. Smith. We're talking about the Yeetmeister. Yeet. We're talking about Nate the Great. Oh, very great. We're talking about Andy Dixon. I'm not saying that this time. <laughs> We're talking about Holly Callan. Make it. Wait, no. Deck the halls. Deck the halls, buddy. Deck the halls. There we go. We're talking about Cheesy. With a fish on our We're talking about Richard. Richard. <laughs> and we're talking about the cool cat himself, Ryan Kukets. Uh All those cool cats and kittens. I you, all those early ones, it was like you were like uh, James T. Kirk going, con! <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big, 
Welcome, 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 welcome to James de Guzman, who's jumped in as a BFF of the BFE. Whoa. So we're going to be having James in January as a bonus. What I've decided is I wanted to get James on instantly, but I also didn't want to put anybody back in, in the rotation any further because it's yeah. Reverend Bruce going, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm scheduled for, he, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking in my head, Reverend Bruce is scheduled for January. We've set up kind of. What the film's going to be. I know, He hasn't said it, and I haven't asked him for it, but we both know from previous conversations what he's bringing. Oh, so no. I'm like, I don't want to wait. So what we're going to do is we're going to have two BFF of the BFE episodes in January, and then we'll just add James to the rotation and go through it like that. I think it's the fairest way to go, kind of yeah. go about it. So yeah. I was telling the group, I'm very excited about 2023. Lots of good stuff coming up there. So I, I started planning 2024 the other day, Ethan. Oh my I woke up at six and rather than get ready for work, all of a sudden I went, I'm going to plan. I'm going to plan 2024. I'm always about a year ahead. So, yeah. Um, I remember when I put Avatar on the schedule and I was like, that seems so far away. And now it's in the rearview mirror. So here we are, 153 episodes in, doing oh. Scrooged. This is my 153rd episode. I'll just say that. I'm just going to wear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to wear that. Uh, let's do some reflections. And corrections, often imitated, never duplicated. There's a mistake I think I made. Before I get into the mistake, I should say, I don't know, I, I was, I, Ethan, I'll be honest, when I was recording last week, I was like, I don't think this is one of the better episodes. I was I like, had fun. I was like, it's one we just kind of got through. And then I went back and listened to it and went, actually, it's, it's, I think it's really entertaining. <laughs> I think it's because when you were recording it, you were sort of a bit more low energy because you weren't feeling good. And I was, I was on an eggnog sugar high. So I, I was having such a, I was having a good time. It's weird listening back to it. You didn't seem as insufferably high. <laughs> but when I was recording it with you, I was like, what is with Ethan? <laughs> and it must have been that disparity between yeah. where you were and where I was. Um, but I think it came off good. And sorry to everybody for all the coughing. I know I was coughing. George's voice was, was rough and she sneezed a few times. Thank you for putting up with it. You can hear you got a little bit of a tickle still in my, in my throat there. It's not gone yet, but there we go. First mistake I got to bring up. Anthony and Davies brought us to our attention. Good shout. It wasn't the tails they used for sex. It was the hair. I don't know if that's any better, but it's what they did. And we said tails. Way. So there we go. I do a plan for next year. I want to keep a tally of people who bring the most, people who identify the most mistakes. Ooh. And we're going to reward them with something. <laughs> Maybe a little fact check corner. Go, go back, go back to those days. Yeah. Oh, I remember Some that. Sort Challenge of, accepted. But the deal is going to be if you think you pick up something that isn't one, we penalize you by one. So it's, it's like Scrabble rules apply. Oh, no. <laughs> so you can challenge. But keep in mind, it'll go the other way. So you can't just spam us with stuff. And I will be the judge, jury, and execution. I got no problem in when I'm wrong. I just did. No problem whatsoever. But for people who just decide to go, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And if it's debatable, I'll just say it's not a penalty, but it's not a, it's not a win. Yeah. So we'll sort of see how that goes. And then I got to do this one again. There's a mistake I think I made. This one is on me. But no one called me out on it. I'm calling it on myself. Oh. I very briefly last week tried to claim that John Landau, uh, sorry, John Favreau, was was a producer of Avatar. 
Or was he not? I mentioned it once. It's John Landau, not John Favreau. Oh. I mentioned Favreau once and then tweaked. And I was like, it makes sense. He has these big extra universes. No wonder. This yeah, is where he learned how to do everything. That was like 2009. is yeah. just after Avatar. If, if, it, if it's the, the timeline. Stuff. Yeah. If it's the timeline. But yeah, so I mentioned it once and then had corrected it. But no one called me out on it. So I will call myself out on it. There we are. Um, want to give something here to Sir Gives a Damn one more time. Uh, Ethan, you'll appreciate this. You're, you're, you're a part guy. Um, so he said quickly in flight of passage, since it was mes- mentioned, this is a ride, I'm guessing. Oh, the, uh, the Banshee one. Yeah. You can feel all in capital letters, the Banshee breathing all in capital letters as you fly it. It's incredibly immersive and yes, gorgeous. I want to try because you can't really see any videos because it's, it's a VR thing. So I'm like, you can't comprehend what it looks like. And also, I want to because VR, like 90% of the time, kind of looks a bit bad as, as I wouldn't, I, I've got a VR headset and a good chunk is not good. So maybe that Disney money makes actually feel like it is breathing. There we go. Um, what do we got here? We got, uh, Josh, my next favorite movie says, I found a Travolta movie, an Avatar movie with Travolta in it. And of course it's <laughs> Battlefield Earth, but it looks big dreadlocks, blue, yeah. blue tint. I'm like, yep. Uh, Liam was very quick to show, that's Battlefield Earth. And we're like, okay, I know it's Battlefield Earth, buddy. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's funny. <laughs> um, my question here, cause I thought more about it all week. Do the avatars have functioning brains? Because in order to make that transfer where he lives afterwards, that's a functioning brain. But why would you make a functioning brain? It's really just a wireless device. Unless it's like an artificial brain, but I don't know. It doesn't make sense. The, the, the biology of it, they actually built like a fully functional, like organic, like, part of it's organic. I can live with that. But why would you build a giant brain and how would you access to it? I don't know. But how would you build a functioning brain and then take something to like override it? I don't understand that. The, they, I think I said last week, they, they, they very much sort of gloss over and so-so the fact that, hey, we've created a genetic template that's identical, nearly identical yeah, five to, the, fingers to, the versus real, four, yeah, yeah. to the real Navi, but they can't, they do gloss over that, and that was always an issue I had. It is, it's like, it's not, is it, is it like a, is it a proper clone that's just dormant when you're not, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I was like, maybe they just like got one and kind of killed it, but then at the same point, someone would recognize them, and I I immediately dismissed that. And then we've got uh, one more from Nate the Great, who says Avatar and Whiplash have been your best two episodes in a while, I think, which was nuts because I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm really not feeling Avatar as an episode. But I think my favorite and also your best is Heat, in my opinion. Between the movie, deep dive discussion, and George thinking Pacino and De Niro were the same person the whole time. Well, there was that added bonus to it. <laughs> Without question. I'll never forget that. Uh, Carlo wants to know when we're back with a quiz night we're into the general shout outs now i'll bring me back and the quiz was really quickly actually um i've set up um very early january i'm hoping to get one out where i'm bringing back a bunch of people who came in last oh and so i'm offering four of them a chance at redemption and one of them a chance to prove they are the biggest loser when it comes to uh <laughs> film and I- i'm hoping george is going to be one of those five because she is definitely one who's earned that spot and my sister, who's gone for a walkabout from her computer monitor right now, I'm hoping she'll be one of those five. And I've got confirmation that neighbor of the podcast, Debbie, will be on that episode as well. Oh, I can't wait to hear this one. So we've got some real world stuff. I think Griff has said he's in. <laughs> I uh, miss Griff. I've got a message from Griff saying, I can do that. There we go. He said, did I realize I came last and then I remembered? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I think I've got four of the five spots uh, called for now. So that's good. Um, so the curse, I was just explaining how hopefully you're going to come back to defend what we'll defend to try and outperform your previous performance on, on, on a quiz night against people as equally yoked as yourself. I, I'll put it like that. I was doing so well into the final round. <laughs> uh, I can. <laughs> Such an epic. Fail. I can promise like, I will it was probably like Titanic moment. I will probably try and put like each person's worst mistake as a question in the in the quiz. <laughs> I think that's I think that's only fair. To see if people that learned was, from their mistakes. So it's funny because um I used to send Ian a quiz, a daily quiz thing from a local radio station. And oh, that's right. they I now have that. Yeah. So that's the radio station I won my pink tickets from. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um so now they have Redemption Fridays. So it's any questions that were that people got wrong previous, like in the last two weeks, they use those on the Friday. So theoretically, so if you've been listening, you should be able to get yeah. these. Okay. And a lot of people write them all down. But um, when you sent me that where you're like, I'm having a redemption thing, I'm like, I hope it's all the questions that we all got wrong. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to put that much time into this. No. <laughs> no. I don't have a producer like scribbling down. If I do, it's usually Ethan, but I'm not going to ask him to do that. Because Ethan, <laughs> I need you. Here's a little promo. I Ooh. need you to make a list of previous winners of the besties and the resties from the last two years. I'm so glad I came prepared for that because I, I, I started going... The other day, I was like, maybe I should probably go back and yeah. just like make sure I've got them. And this year, we're giving uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do the besties and the resties, and we're gonna give the Patreon backers at the friend and the best friend tiers a chance to sort of uh, everyone will vote no matter what tier you're on. But we're gonna give the besties and the and the best friends. We're gonna give them a chance to view the experience and any ties they can break. So there will be a winner for every category this year. That's awesome. <laughs> so there we go. So there we go. Uh, so patreon.com slash BFE. You can get involved in that. Help us decide what was the best and the worst that we saw. The worst, I mean, the the resties are my, are my, I like both episodes, but resties are just a lot of fun to do. So uh, I think that's where it gets the most divisive. People, people who are apt to, to get their feelings hurt, and I, I think I would yeah. have called those people Liam in Georgia. Uh, <laughs> that's a day that they're most most likely to have that happen. Whereas I think y- you and I just kind of like sitting back a little bit and just and just enjoying the chaos. I think. I, expect, I might get a bit defensive about whiplash, but I think that's the only. <laughs> well, one. There's only one person who doesn't like whiplash. You, it might be his worst. He, I think he's picking on this one like he did Parasite. I think this is oh, yeah, yeah. I think this is his Parasite for this year. <laughs> but no one else is backing him up. So <laughs> he can throw all the votes at Whiplash he wants and ain't going to win them. Um, there we are. Uh, Nate the Great was really excited for the Avatar episode. There we go. Danny from It's a Musical. He's a gentleman. Go check out their podcast. Josh, my next favorite movie, did the Santa Claus this week. Oh, my God. As well as something called Christmas Evil. It was a double header. Um... Two very different films, I'm guessing. I haven't, I haven't heard of Christmas Evil. No, me either. Um, Poet Laureate of the podcast, Dwayne Smith. Dwayne Smith. Said that he wishes Georgia and myself get well soon. I'm much better. I'm much, much better. Uh, Georgia, not so much, because her show's outside. So, oh. yeah, it's basically like she's basically performing in a glorified barn. So you do the bit where you like run around and you get like a good sweat on. But then it's cold outside, so you're just setting your body up to, to, to stay yeah. sick. Oh, yeah, it's not a good situation. Science from the fiction Remnant for All the Love, the podcast that wouldn't die for the love. Cinema Recall. Hey, Vern, how's it going? The Film Effect Pod, uh, the Red Dove Podcast. That's well, a that's new a one new for one. a shout-out. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, 
semi-frequent contributor shy burger Freund says hey guys started going through your earlier pods and really enjoying them hey thanks a lot there's some ones hey. in those early days i would love a chance to redo no you can't you can't yeah. by the very nature of what we do but i would love to never go at oceans 11 or chicago or something like it hot now that we've got the format a little bit more a little bit more nailed down than we did, yeah. than we did back then and before you were on board, actually, Ethan, for, for yeah. many years, yeah. Before I was like a... a Maybe that's why like Shy's enjoying them so much, because they're uh, Ethan-free. I was like, um, <laughs> the way that I, I've described it to someone, I was like the Urkel of the beginning of this, and then and then for whatever reason, I still don't fully understand, they were like, let's make Urkel the main character. You, you were this weird this. side character, where they went, no, I'm yeah. the main cast. And we're like, really? We really think he's more of like, uh, that comes in every now and then, also with, and like, no, 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 main I'll cast. i the door and they'll be like, a, whoa! And then that, <laughs> not even like, not even like a Kramer, just like, as that neighbor that shows up from time to time that they gave like a weird Paramount Plus spinoff to. You're Why Kimmy Gibbler. That? That's what you are. You're the Kimmy Gibbler of uh. our group. To people my generation and Kirsty's, they'll definitely understand what that means. Um, what do we have here? Um, oh, Hermie said, hearing the outcome of the poll and hearing Ian's logic, I wish we really had a Team Ethan campaign to troll with the vote. So <laughs> thanks a lot, Hermes. Always a pleasure. And then uh, GIF of the week. Uh, the, the GIF was Dragon. Um, and the others receiving votes. Uh, Chris Peterson, Hermes, Dwayne Smith, and Scriptical, thank you for contributing. Uh, I'm going to go the bronze medal to Ian Davies, who did a Welsh flag and said it was the best flag. I'm not going to disagree with that. It's a great flag. It's a good flag. It was the third best gift. Uh, number two, and I thought this was going to win it flat out. Uh, Josh, my next favorite movie. All week long, I thought it was going to win it. Um, it's the episode of Friends where uh, he's work- uh, Joey's working at the restaurant for Monica so she can fire him. And he <laughs> has the name Dragon. And they go, hey, you, new guy. And the guy's like, he has a name. It's Dragon. And I was like, you're not going to beat that. And then uh, Russell the Postie sent me a gif of a child dressed in, like, Kill Bill, like, yellow, like, jumpsuit, fighting a dragon, another child in, like, a dragon costume, but it's like this choreographed fight scene. It's amazing. I retweeted it today. So it wins the gold. Well done. I think Russell's won a couple of them lately. Well done. Uh, really quickly, some fantasy football update, because it's the playoffs, and I'm the only one who made the playoffs out of the BFE, so I get to talk about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, I'm playing Stu. That, that's the long and short of it. I finished fifth. Stu finished fourth. I'm currently predicted to win, which means I won't. That's been the, the trend, although Stu says I am 2-0 and against him this year. Ooh. And Stu goes on to say he's got a lot of players out hurt, and mine are all okay, which means this is like the Disney setup for me to lose. That's exactly <laughs> what this is. So we they shall see. Although, as I just said football. that, as I just said that, a purple trophy has appeared on my home screen from Yahoo Fantasy. So something good has happened in one of them. We also have Reverend Bruce destroying Ed from the film effect. Last I saw, another purple trophy has just popped up on my screen. This is good news. <laughs> um, Kevin, uh, Kevin, the podcast wouldn't die. And Alex from Main Street Finance have received buys. Uh, I'll say this: uh, Alex from Main Street Finance didn't want to acknowledge me. After my win last week, and I'm like, yo, yo, if I win, you have to acknowledge me. And he was like, no, no, it's just by one point. I'm like, hey, everybody else has been really classy. And they've gone, I acknowledge you. And when I lost to Anthony and Davies, I went, I acknowledge Anthony and Davies. He beat me this week. Did Victor go the spoils? I go, oh, you're back up, running back. <laughs> no, no, no. I acknowledged him. So hopefully, 
This whole thing feels like it's setting up for me to get knocked out by Anthony and Davey. That was right by by uh, Alex Macy Finance for my for my swagger. But but that means I would actually have to get by um, Stu from Stu World Order. I don't know how both those things can happen because it, it seems like I'm destined to lose both of those. So there we go. You're that businessman in the kids' film that wants to turn the ski resort into like an oil mine. That's me. You get you get challenged to your snowboarding competition. I'm, I'm like the bad guy in every Adam Sandler movie, is what I am. <laughs> um, what do we got here? Uh, we've also got, just for the record, George has got a buy in the Constellation bracket, as is Nate the Great. Liam is playing Dwayne Smith, and Ethan, you're playing Anthony and Davies. For whatever uh, that's good. worth. I'm, I'm good. Don't, yeah. don't finish last. That's the goal. Don't finish yeah. last. <laughs> uh, on that note, don't let us finish last. Why don't give us a review? Apple or Spotify? I hear five is a magic number. Five. Is the magic number. There we go. I think Curse would have jumped in, too. Thank you both of you for being ready for that. Uh, why are we doing this? Because uh, the Patreon backers decided to pick the movie I thought was going to finish a distant third. I had no idea. Kirsty, which one of the three would you have voted for out of curiosity? It was so that it was between Christmas, uh, vacation, Christmas vacation, It's a Wonderful Life, and Scrooge. So um, I would have chosen Christmas Vacation. My mine would have been Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and then It's a Wonderful Life, because I've only watched It's a Wonderful Life like twice. I've never seen it, and that my uh, a friend of mine years ago made me watch it with her, and the whole time she was commenting, she's like, "Isn't that the best movie ever?" And I'm like, "Was she American?" No, it was Michelle. Oh, because because Americans really hold this and a Christmas story in like really high regard. Okay, I, so- I don't rate either of those films. Well, I, I didn't see it in It's Wonderful ever, Life, but I really don't, I don't like re- Christmas Story. I don't remember ever watching A Christmas Story as a child. Okay. Like, I don't think it was on Mom's repertoire, but we watched it last night as a family. Okay. And we actually really enjoyed oh, it. Oh, really? Maybe something you gotta, maybe something you got to be a kid for. I don't know. I Well, I think it's like you almost have to be a parent to enjoy something. Oh, maybe. Stuff. Okay. I double dog but, dare you. <laughs> like, I mean, there were some times where we just sat there and we were like, whatever. But anyway, that's besides It's point. just something I don't so, get. Yeah. I would have chosen Christmas Vacation only because it's one of my favorites. It was literally going to be my pick. And then when Liam picked it, I went, oh, I need to pivot. And didn't <laughs> think enough to have a – usually for Halloween, I've always got a backup. Yeah. but Yeah, and then like both Kara and I were surprised that you didn't choose Kremlins, like that no one picked yeah. Kremlins. Ethan so. and I both afterwards went, why, why didn't we pick Kremlins? <laughs> well, I was there thinking, you go for next year. I was like, oh, yeah, what should I do? And Scrooge popped into my head because I was like, Someone will, someone will choose Natural Lampoon, and that'll, that'll get chosen. That'll be fine. Yeah. And I listened, and I was like, oh, Liam's got it. Cool. Oh, Ian's got a good pick. Georgia has a pick. I'm sh- I'm sure either one of those two picks will win. Like, and I can't figure this out for any reason, because it's not a generational thing, because no. like National Lampoon's a little bit actually later on than, Grand- yeah. than this. I'm like, okay, it's not like it's a genre thing, because they're both kind of comedies, but I'm like, surely Christmas Vacation's more quotable. See, my yeah. thought was it's either because it's another version of A Christmas Carol or it's got because it's Bill Murray. I think it's the Bill Murray thing. I think yeah. it's the fact that it's a little counterculture is what I think. It's cynical, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's right because everyone's uh, – there's that Violent Night movie that's come out, which is just like, what if Santa did Die Hard, which everyone's like, this is really good. I want to see it, but it is it is counterculture to the extreme. All right, let's talk about this one, though, because it's what they chose. So a cynical, selfish tech television executive is haunted by three spirits bearing lessons on Christmas Eve. It was directed and produced by Richard Donner. We've done a Richard Donner film before on the pod. Ethan, do you remember what it was? 
Oh, uh, did he do Trading Places? No, he didn't do Trading Places. He did Lethal mm. Weapon. Oh, see, because I, well, I hear Richard and I just go, oh, yeah, Superman. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah. did Superman, uh, The Goonies, um, the four Lethal Weapon movies to date, Maverick, and Assassins. And he passed away not that long ago. We were oh. doing the pod when he passed away. Yeah, so it's in the last couple of years. Co-written by Mitch Glazer, who did, uh, who was a writer on 1998's Great Expectations. So I guess he's good at doing adaptations, I suppose. He was an assistant producer on Lost in Translation, the Sofia Coppola film starring Bill Murray. Murray. So there we go. Uh, The other writer was Michael O'Donohue, who was a writer for several seasons on Saturday Night Live. Okay. Cinematography by Michael Chapman. Check a look at this repertoire. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, The Lost Boys, Michael Jackson, the music video to Bad, because most of these movies I've mentioned so far, Martin Scorsese films, including the Bad Music Video, Martin Scorsese, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, The Fugitive, Space Jam. Oh, that was you doing so well until... The first Space Jam's okay. I'm all right with it. Kindergarten Cop. Oh, that's true. Uh, I've never (laughs) seen that, if you want to believe that, all the way through. I just told you, it's not a tumor. That's all I know. Um, music by Danny Elfman. And I'm sorry, this is as short as I can make the list. We don't give Danny Elfman nearly enough love. <laughs> Ethan, we've done a couple of Danny Elfman films. You know which ones we've done? Uh, we've done Batman yep. 89. Uh, we did Nightmare Before Christmas, but I don't know if it was on this pod or Talking to Mickey. No, it was this one. Oh, okay. Um, oh, no. Uh, Verbal Diorama's doing one on Nightmare Before Christmas as well. Go check that out when that drops. She did an excellent episode on Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll throw that out there as well. Got a hold of her afterwards and really enjoyed that. Um, He's also done... uh, Oh, um, Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. Men in Black? Yeah, we did Men in Black, didn't we? We did. Yeah, we did Men in Black. We did Men in Black. Spider-Man 1. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. There we go. Also, other things. There's something else I'm missing. Uh, Oh, Beetlejuice, of course. He's also done Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Summer School. Curse, do you remember Summer School? Uh, he did uh, Big Top Pee Wee, Dick Tracy, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Dolores Claiborne, um, The Men in Back Trilogy, all of them, Goodwill Hunting, Spider Man, Chicago, Big Fish, uh, Spider Man 2, Meet the Robinsons, Silver Linings Playbook, The Fifty Shades of Grey Trilogy, Avengers Age of Ultron, Men in Black International, they can't all be winners, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, for which he replaced Michael Giacchino. And I'm like, who replaces Michael Giacchino? I like his score for Multiverse of Madness, but I went back and went, ah, oh, this definitely was not as good as I remember it being. Yeah, I think that's probably, I remember I wasn't that big on it. I was like, nope, this is, this is all a bunch of misdirect. This is, yep. I enjoyed the first half on the second watch, and then I went, I like what you're trying to do, but this dialogue is terrible. Like, they go to these different universes where it's like, ooh, in this one, red means green, and green means red. And I'm like, it's not Very really a difference. Concept, yeah. yeah. They should have played, I was expecting more, more madness and more multiverse, as opposed to, here's two, here's really one other world. Really. So, yeah. Here's some things that people might remember from other franchises, and here's this guy. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Uh, well, the first, I don't even remember the first time I saw this. It would have been on TV, and I would have just caught it on one of those Sunday afternoon movie things. Uh, I don't really know. Um, Kirstie's nodding, so I'm going to claim that she's doing the same thing that I am. Uh, Ethan? I'm, I'm about the same. I, I, I must have been like 11 when, when this was on like some, some channel around Christmas. And I was like, I've seen Ghostbusters. I like this guy. 
see, it's weird. I never watched Bill Murray and I have never really been, I've never really sought him out. Never, ever, ever. I didn't see Ghostbusters till I was into my 30s, I don't think. Late 20s for sure. Um, didn't like What About Bob? See, I'm um, not saying that. Because I remember I saw, what was it, The Life Aquatic of the uh, Steve. I do not care for that film. So Lost in Translation. Didn't get it. Um, I did like Groundhog Day. I did like Groundhog yeah, Day. Groundhog Day is good. I Caddyshack. I like Caddyshack. I, I didn't see Caddyshack. I'd uh, argue the repetitive nature of Groundhog Day allows his zany riffs to be better because I know the structure of what the day's supposed to be. Just yeah. a thought. Um, so it's going to be really hard in talking about the context of this film to ignore. Usually I do the context and then talk about the actors. A lot of it's going to come under when I introduce uh, Bill Murray. So the only context I've really got is Scrooge was, was filmed on a $32 million budget over three and a half months on sets in Hollywood. Uh, and that's really about it because everything else is uh, really kind of too tied in with uh, Bill Murray. So let's just go ahead and start the deep dive. We begin with a Paramount title, uh, like studio identification, the title card, and Santa's workshop. And this felt like every 1980s Santa movie there ever was. Santa Claus the movie, uh, other, and, you know, it's got, its, you know, the, the elves are being played exclusively by, it's either children or little people, and they decided little yeah. people in this one. Uh, the fun little pivot is there's an attack on the North Pole. I've gotten brackets. If this is Martin Short, I quit the pod. Uh, because that would be, I think that's uh, Santa Claus three, if memory serves. Yeah, I went. I watched all three back to back. You did. That was the terrible experience. I I do not get it. Well, they just get progressively the, worse. It's weird. The second one's definitely the worst one. The third one. Oh, really? Really? The third one is just so boring. I never watched the third one. I yeah. saw the second one. I went. <laughs> Uh, Kirsten, I don't know if I saw it with you. I saw Santa Claus 2 with someone, and I didn't watch 8 Mile. So not, so, not only, so not only is there the movie I saw, there's the opportunity cost of what I gave up to watch it, and it was 8 Mile I, was also in cinemas. I can kind of beat that. I saw Santa Claus 3 on a date, like, and I didn't choose it. The date did. Wow. <laughs> but 8 Mile like won an Oscar. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure Santa Claus 3 got a Razzie. My kids Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. They spend an hour building up to this massive thing for Martin Short's character, and then it happens, and then they immediately fix it in 10 minutes, and I go, okay, so the first hour was pointless. Yeah. And now they've released the miniseries for the the That was terrible. Yeah, George, it was horrible. Like, I'm very curious to see what Georgia it. thinks of it because she was really looking forward to it. Probably has like goggles that would prevent her from criticizing. Oh, it. There, there's definitely nostalgia goggles there, but I think I was also in that bit and just went, "Okay, Santa Claus one is fine. Santa Claus two has this very strange. Let's make his you, clone a Nazi." You can't have nostalgia goggles for a series you never saw. Ethan. Oh no, no, I'm saying that's why I think Georgia might like it. Oh, okay. I have no, I have, have no nostalgia, nostalgia for the Santa okay, Claus. I, I watched it a couple. I didn't years know ago if you quantum right. leaped back to '95. <laughs> Caught no, it. I just I never watched it, and I was like, okay, there was first ones were fine, second ones awful, third ones boring. This series is six hours, it's like it's like four hours of me going, okay, 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 weird, yeah. weird, can't say Merry Christmas anymore. Joke in the first episode and make fun of like autistic people, and then we're gonna forget about that for the next four episodes. Okay. It's a weird show. It's it is weird, but I I mean I have the nostalgia for the the first one anyway. 
I, I mean, Ian knows I, I was, Hate it. I've, I've been a Christmas nut for years. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And I mean, I, I love Tim Allen. I loved Christmas with the Cranks. I know it's a sickness. I know. I don't, I don't, help, you know, what? I don't mind but, Christmas with the Cranks. I don't like it. I don't mind it though. I like it. I watch it every year, but, um, the kids though, if it's not the Santa Claus, we're watching Christmas Chronicles. And so I'm always like, let's watch Singing Santa Christmas Chronicles again. Let's watch that one. Because, I mean, I have to say, like, they've got, a, like, for all the Christmas movies that have come out in, like, let's say the last 10 years, the Christmas Chronicles and Christmas Chronicle 2, I think, are the best. So, All right. I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen a good one, so. It has my favorite trope of a Santa movie, which is, because it's Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, but my favorite Santa movie trope is Santa will do something which is ridiculously Obviously, Santa Claus would be like, this is Billy. When he was nine, he wanted a choo-choo train. Well, Billy, here's that train now. Or do you like, and it's, and it's, it's my favorite trope. Cause every time they're like, how, how do you do that? How? You're like Santa Claus. And it waits till he like flies away. And it's like, could it be? <laughs> it's kind of what Judge Reinhold does at the end of, uh, <laughs> of the Santa Claus. So there we go. And he gets his weenie whistle. That's right. <laughs> no weenie whistle um so mrs claus breaks out the semi-automatic weapons which i loved <laughs> and we've got die hard too as lee majors comes in on a snowmobile now i think i'm 10 years too young to appreciate lee majors the six million dollar man there were reruns of a six million dollar man when kirsten and i were growing up on some tv channel i never watched it because um, it was from the 70s, and I didn't, when you, it was like this, like, super, whenever he did something, like, we can rebuild him, we can make him bigger, faster, stronger, the king of Spain, Moxie Fruvis. Okay, moving on. Like, <laughs> there might be three people who might get that joke, but yeah, the, the live album from Moxie Fruvis had that intro to King of Spain. So, like, I knew, I knew who the $6 million man was, but if someone went, hey, do you know who Lee Majors was? I never would have been going, oh, yeah, he's, he's the $6 million man. I'm going to hopefully, yeah. I've decided this now, I'm going to try and get the King of Spain intro onto the end of the podcast so you can hear and I'm not just like going crazy on the, uh... <laughs> it was the Moffats a couple of weeks ago with, with Bang Bang Boom, now it's going to be Moxie Fruvis, I'm doing my bit for Canadian music, um, where are we at now, uh, so Lee Majors, um, he was contacted directly by Richard Donner to appear in the film, um, he helped Santa. He was armed with a stripped-down M134 minigun, the same one featured in Predator, <laughs> which he found different to carry due to its weight. Uh, their first hope was to get uh, Chuck Norris. Oh, to play Chuck okay. Norris, not to play Lee Majors. I yeah, no, because I feel even now, because of the internet, that is that is that would have like, aged that, really that well. Becomes, that becomes beautifully timeless. That would have like, been as a reference. That would have yeah. been great. And it was before the yeah. whole, you know, Chuck, you know, the whole Chuck Norris sort of meme hadn't been created yeah, yet. Yeah. But man, wouldn't that have been cool? <sighs> so, uh, and we find out other bits of because this is Santa in the night the reindeer died, and we have other Christmas lineup specials like Robert Goulet's old-fashioned Cajun Christmas, Father <laughs> Loves Beaver, and uh, <laughs> which was really funny, and IBC's overall Christmas lineup. And it finishes with a dark boardroom, and everybody looks towards the camera in this point-of-view shot. We've been placed in the eyes of someone. We don't know who it is. Enigma has been built up until we reveal... Before we do that, just a note on the cinematography. Michael Chapman replaced the original director of photography five days into filming when they fired that guy. Oh, was there wow. a reason? I don't know, but they started filming around December, so he was fired right before Christmas. 
by any chance did he then get a gun and then did he go after Richard Donner? I'll tell you what, I got a context corner note in a minute that's insane and that I did look up for verification to make sure it wasn't just one place. I found it in a bunch of places, so it must be... It must be true. So here we I go. I love this episode. But I can tell. We get introduced to Frank Cross, played by Bill Murray. Murray at this point was actually, he thought he was rusty because he hadn't acted for about four years. After oh. Ghostbusters, he took a hiatus. And he did like a couple of like little bit bit in certain films, but not like a proper uh, role. So he described the success of Ghostbusters as a phenomenon that would forever be as big as success. Compounded by the failure of a film called The Razor's Edge made him feel radioactive and resulted in him avoiding making movies. He had the opportunity. They pitched him Scrooge two years before this, and he turned it down. Oh. Um, so, cause he was enjoying this break from work and he felt the scripts weren't very strong and that's something that would continue throughout his time. He had issues with the script. Um, he did return to the, the Scrooge project eventually as he found the idea of making a funny Scrooge appealing Bill Murray. And I have confirmation on this turned down the lead role in rain man, big and cocktail to make this film. You're joking. So cocktail, I'm uh, is it, I don't know if cocktails the Tom Cruise or yeah, or the, or, or the other the, guy role. That's the Tom Cruise one. Yeah, I, I'm saying I don't know which of the oh, two roles. Oh, oh, oh. Big would definitely have to be um definitely Tom have to Hanks be Tom Hanks's role. Yeah. But Dustin Hoffman was, I guess, a producer on Rain Man and didn't want to do the role himself and wanted Bill Murray to do it. I found that in a bunch of places. Oh, can you that's imagine? An interesting timeline. It's it's it takes it to a different place though, doesn't it? Because you got to think yeah. Murray would take it more comedic, and then that would age badly. Yeah, I feel I because there's a, there's a film that Rosie O'Donnell did like 20 years ago called like Riding the Bus with My Sister, and she did not play that oh, no? role. Okay, yeah, she didn't play that role respectfully at all. So Bill Murray said, "Quote: Being the meanest person in the world as Frank Cross was fun. He described his challenge as having an edge, but then completing Cross's transformation into a decent person at the end." Um, Murray said, being a decent person is not that hard. Acting like one is. So there we go. He was paid, and this is in 1987 or whatever, $6 million for this role. $6 million, man. He said he's the $6 million, man. That's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, producer Art Linson justified this figure, saying that for each year Murray stayed away from films, his audience draw and fee potentially increased. So he said the only ever guy who could draw $10 million worth of tickets in the first three to four days at this time in the 1980s would have been Eddie Murphy. Oh, wow. Okay. As far as like how big of a movie star was Bill Murray at this time. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm again about 10 years too young to fully realize the drawing power of Bill Murray. Um, Oh, I lost it. Oh, Murray worked with the screenwriters who he had worked with previously on Saturday Night Live until Murray was confident enough to begin filming. He described the experience as having, quote, a fair amount of misery. And he says, it's a tough one. I still have trouble talking about Scrooged. He described the set as dusty, smelly, and smoky, that he felt alone, and even coughing up blood due to the fake snow being used. Oh, my God. He admitted the feeling pressure from being the solo star of a film compared to previous productions like Ghostbusters as he was on set mostly every day where some actors would make brief cameos requiring only a day or two of work. Now, I would say this. You're getting paid $6 million, dude. Like you, mm. you are financially compensated as though you were the lone star of the film. The promotional materials and the script make you the only star of the film. I also get the impression that Bill Murray's hard to work with. 
Yeah, I, I, when I chose this film, I almost didn't because of all the controversies that have come yep. out now about Bill Murray. Because there's all there's obviously the the Charlie's Angels stuff and just how he acted um, on a couple other sets, which is then because he's he's in the new Ant Man movie that comes out oh, next he? year, and everyone's going, "Oh, how how are you pressing this?" Because you've got Bill Murray who's now in hot water for a load of things. Yeah. Because oh no, there was the there was the production that got shut down uh, for like a week or two. Yeah, was it, it a couple months ago. Yeah. Oh, who is he? He's the guy from um, Parks and Rec. Oh, um, Master of None. Tim. Oh, uh, Aziz Ansari's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 it's his, yeah. It's his, now, Aziz Ansari, I think, is shutting yeah, it down. Exactly. Because Aziz Ansari's got some stuff as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and Lu- Lucy Liu uh, has reported that he was very, um, I'll say, difficult to work with. Mm. Um, the stuff out there, you can Google it for yourselves. Um, so, I have a feeling, though, this doesn't just come out of the blue. I have a feeling that, you know, he's been fairly. Con- and, and a lot of guys who are comedians can either be. Um, sad or they can be um hypercritical it seems to be the two sort of areas that that energy can be channeled because to be funny it means your brain's going all the stinking time and the problem then becomes you know what what do you do when that's not paid off in a way that you would expect or you would want and keep in mind richard donner didn't do comedy he was an action guy yeah so there were reports i don't think richard donner's a great fit for this movie either so i think it's a bad situation from the off when I saw his name pop up, I went, "Oh, that I really wasn't because my like I, it's always okay." He does like the Superman stuff, and he does Lethal Weapon. I I can't picture the first two minutes when they're showing the ad. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense for Richard Donner. In a 1989 interview, Murray said he shot he being Donner a big long sloppy movie. Described how a lot of the content was not present in the final cut. Murray said it just didn't work. You tend to forget what was wrong. It's hard. I just feel that anyone who's good could step into this part and have a lot of fun with it. It's a wicked character, sort of. The idea of making a funny Scrooge was an inspired touch. That's what was appealing to me about it. Donner said he'd never worked with Murray before and met up with him for drinks before accepting the the project to see if they'd get along. He was more positive about the relationship, describing Murray as superbly creative, but occasionally difficult. But we qualify it by saying, as difficult as any actor. Uh, Bill Murray ad-libbed most of his lines. There's a surprise. In a 1988 <laughs> interview with Philadelphia Daily News, Richard Donner discussed Murray's penchant for improvisation and described the experience of directing Murray as follows. Quote, it's like standing on 42nd Street and Broadway and the lights are out and you're the traffic cop. <laughs> Donner said Murray was always in a working mindset on set, believing it made him tired. So the crew would do silly things to improve morale. So again, this idea of actually, despite being funny, bringing kind of a negative energy with him to the set, um, which you hear about a lot of funny men. David Letterman has been accused of being really rough to his uh, to his staffers. Ellen DeGeneres obviously has been in the news uh, yeah, about being yeah. really negative to her staffers and to some of the guests. Um, Donner had not worked with an improvisational comedian like Murray before who ad-libbed many of his lines, and therefore Donner said, you don't direct Murray, you pull him back. And so he checks himself out back to our shot, everybody looking at him, before and he pulls uh looks at this mirror and looks at himself and it was like okay i get it he's self-obsessed he's vain he's it felt like really clumsy lazy storytelling he says show me the scrooge promo 
and we get a Scrooge promo, and it's a lot. And the book opens, and I love, I love anything where a book opens. Yeah. And it's this old, kindly man by a fire reading you the story of Scrooge, and then you get some, you know, ridiculous stuff in it. But the uh, narrator was played by John Houseman, who went by his actual name in the film. Uh, unfortunately, John Houseman died less than a month before the film was was released in theater, so he never got to oh. see it. Oh. Yeah. And this is live via satellite from New York. And Mary Lou Renton will be Tiny Tim. Now, Mary Lou Renton was legitimate Olympic gold medalist, I believe, in, oh, in gymnastics. Okay. So, like, this would have something. So, it's, it's the thing. It's the most American. Sorry, Americans. It's the most American thing possible. We're not going to have Tiny Tim. We're going to have Tiny Tim do, like, a vault and a triple somersault before landing. And it's this excess. Excess, mm. excess, excess. And if I've learned anything from living in Canada, the U.K., and America. America likes to make everything as big as they can. And Britain likes to make everything kind of like it's not a big deal. Like, let's just, let's just play everything like we're not trying at all. So. Yeah. It's either cynical or like too humble for itself. Exactly. And yeah. so as a result, taking something like Dickens and going, let's make Le- uh, Mary Lou Renton, sorry, Mary Lou Renton, the, um, the tiny Tim. I mean, it's funny. Uh, I'm not sure it pays off in the right way. Uh, Jamie Farr had a, like this brief cameo. And why they filmed them all in costume months before they're actually going to do the actual thing is, is beyond me. Like They brought John Houseman in, had him sit in front of a fire <laughs> to show you that that's what he'll be doing like a month and a half from now when they, when they air this. Jamie Farr, um, Kirsty, you might remember him. He was in MASH. Do you remember MASH? Yeah. He's the guy who yeah. would dress up in women's clothing trying to get yeah. released. Yeah. Uh, and the final thing is, you'll love it. Y U L E. You'll love it, which I thought was really, really funny. So I was like, oh, that's. Fu-. It's for every time they played it, because you hear it like five or six times, and I'm like, oh, that's funny. Okay, here we go. And then it repeats on me, and I'm like, that's it is, it. It is the kind of thing that, like, an American network would come up with yeah. and just drill into your head. <laughs> I've got my notes, you can't make this stuff up, because what I mean is filming began in December 1987. With Christmas approaching, director Richard Donner asked if the production could have Christmas Day off. Paramount Pictures executives refused, insisting filming should continue on Christmas Day. No. Now, talk about a lack of awareness at all about the film you signed <laughs> off on. An evil television network who makes them work Christmas Eve, and Paramount goes, we can do one better. You'll work Christmas Day. <laughs> I love the film industry so much. So Richard Donner outwitted them. Uh, at the end of the day on Christmas Eve, he fired everybody, the whole cast, the whole crew, and he rehired them on Boxing Day. Oh, that's I love awesome. that. So the break allowed, obviously, the family, cast and crew members to spend Christmas with their families. And um, Bill Murray sees the final. Frankie sees the final uh, promo. He goes, oh, my gosh, does that suck? He said, we have spent $40 million on a live TV broadcast. I want to know what they spent the money on, because nothing I saw is remotely coming close to $40 million. No. Like, I've seen, I've seen like, amateur pantomimes that have better production values than this thing <laughs> seems to have. But later on, he's talking to the one exec, and he's like, oh, yeah, then we're going to, it's going to pan to this country and that country, so maybe. Maybe it's that stuff? That. Yeah, in which case, I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. He said, we spent $40 million on a live TV broadcast. You have an ad of an old fart reading a book in front of a fireplace. (laughs) There are some bits. I mean, Bill Murray does carry bits of this. I don't want to suggest that he doesn't. And we meet. I mean, who named these characters? Elliot with one L. Elliot Loudermilk. (laughs) Played by Bobcat Goldthwaite. See that? See, I'm like, yeah. 
gold thwaite. So it's not quite possible thwaite, but it's it's up there. Um, and he says the ad's been getting a good response. It's been running for a month. Frank reminds everybody he's the youngest president in IBC history because he knows what people want. I've asked in my notes, shouldn't we therefore ask why it's taken Frank a month to go over an advert for this $40 million broadcast? If it's been playing for a month, this isn't the pitch. Yeah. Just saying. He he is a version, which he's made. Again, why haven't you thought of dropping it before December 23rd? I don't know. But it's uh, a slow zoom on Frank. His chin is lowered. His eyes are looking up past his cranium and like evil caveman stare. Low key lighting as we had switched to the screen. Acid rain. International terrorism. And a plane blows up. Highway vigilantes or shooters, whatever it said. Bang, bang. And blood on the screen. You don't want to miss Scrooge. Remember the true meaning of Christmas. Your life may just depend on it. (laughs) Actually, during the film's release, hijackers did blow up a Pan Am flight over Lockerbie, Scotland. That... Yeah, they they recently found the guy who did that. How they really? Yeah, it was in the news like three days ago. They they found they like they uh, they finally brought him in. Yeah, so I'm really kind of surprised they they keep that that like would it be that hard to remove this? I don't know because I I feel because I don't think we're at that point where it's like oh we'll green screen it over. I think that might have actually been playing in the background but you can still edit around that you can clip it because it's just a yeah. uh it's a full screen shot so you just go from acid rain to highway vigilant but then again then we're, when do you stop but i mean the, the actual yeah i don't know um after the advert everyone is sick and like throwing up and i'm like okay a bit a bit much on the reaction but elliot challenges him now here's the thing elliot's challenge makes sense for us as the viewers because we've just met frank Mm. these people were working with frank for theoretically years so they should know they should know you don't challenge frank because frank's like when he gets thrown out he's like oh four minutes a new record we're getting better so obviously he's not the first guy to get fired i don't know if he's supposed to be new or something or they like don't establish recent, that yeah a recent like executive but still i think it's i, don't know. I, I get a comedy is a comedy but just have some sort of internal logic you know what i mean and it's hard yeah. to think that he'd be new because like that's the job that you work your way up the company ladder to get to i guess unless you're brought in from somewhere else but with the sound of him being like oh i'm not gonna do a bobcat goldthwaite impression it'd be terrible (laughs) but um you know with i mean he does play like you know underdog i don't know how he got around that boardroom table he'd have been better off as like some guy working out in the bullpen or something like that you know he's a guy who's dropping off like copy materials yeah and he gets fired, or he's doing the he's doing the 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 lunch order. Yeah, and he's like, you can't do that. And everyone's like, dude, dude, shut up. He's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and then it's much more believable. He'd be the guy like bringing sandwiches or bringing the mail than an like executive. Mailman, yeah, yeah. Like, like he comes in, he sees, then he's like, I've got a couple of of ideas that that I think can make it bad. And <laughs> everyone's just looking at their sheets. He's like, no, oh, no, I, I welcome, I welcome. Uh, I welcome feedback and criticism from anybody in this organization. And then when you turn it, you're like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I, I, I would have given that another go. Um, so Frank says it's a little late to get this kind of feedback on his ad. I'm like, irony, considering he's giving them feedback that's a month late on their advert. 
Uh, Frank promises he'll let Elliot know in five minutes if he can change it, which is actually quite funny if you think the timeline in a minute. And Frank says he doesn't want to scare the dickens out of anybody. And no one laughs. And I'm like, I totally feel your pain there, Frank. Like, (laughs) as a guy who throws a lot of jokes out here, I look around the table and I'm like, oh, just me. Okay, then. (laughs) And we meet Grace Cooley. I love Alfre Woodard. She's great. She is great. I mean, I know her from season two of uh, Desperate Housewives, where she was the sort of featured new neighbor. Oh, uh, the one who played the piano with the son in the basement. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, I know her from Luke Cage. She's really good. Is she Luke good in Luke Cage? Cage? I know yeah. she's in uh, Spider-Man Civil War. She has a really good scene. Oh, yeah. With, yeah, yeah. with And if you can out-act Robert Downey Jr., like that's saying something. You know what I mean? Like, she's yeah. she's got it. Whatever it is, she has. Yeah. So... Um, you know, and kind of a meh kind of part, but she does, she does the best she can with it. Uh, she's told to call security to throw out Elliot because he's fired. And again, she's acting like, but it's Christmas. I'm like, is it your first day as the secretary? <laughs> but she challenges him a lot. He needs her. I like the relationship. Yeah. I will say this. I like the relationship they have. Yeah. 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 Um, Frank thanks her and says, I need to cancel the Christmas bonuses. He's dressed all in black to show he's evil, to show he's corporate, to show he's greedy. He's drinking a tab. Ethan, do you know what a tab is? I only know what a tab is because of Back to the Future. It's like, it wasn't originally what Pepsi was called or something? No, you're, you're close. It was the original name for something else. Oh, it was like, was it Coke or Dr. Pe- it's Dr. Pepper, isn't it? Nope. Diet oh. Coke. Uh, oh, really? Because the idea about diet is that it would limit its its people felt it would limit the interest to only women. So if you call it tab, it becomes a beverage of its own kind. And then diet Pepsi like makes all the money in the world by calling itself diet, and they go, "Oh, we've made a mistake." And so they <laughs> name it Diet Coke. And until recently, like Vegas was like the only place you could still get tab. But I think tab's now off the market officially everywhere. Hmm. So there we go. Uh, so yeah, he's drinking tab and and vodka. Um. And we cross-cut between Bob deciding who's going to get what for Christmas. There's two options. You can get a bath towel, and they're really ugly. Yeah. Or you can get a VCR. And uh, as this is going on, we also see um, Elliot, uh, Bobcat, get thrown out. He gets the stuff handed to him. And then we meet uh, Frank's boss, Preston Rhinelander, played by Robert Mitchum, who is a bit of a guest, uh, a get, sorry, Um the actor was not interested in the role originally because it was small, but Donner said, why don't you meet with Bill Murray, who convinced him to take the part? And Richard Donner said, quote, he came in, as in Bill Murray, and we never got a word in edgewise. He's so wonderful with stories, and we didn't want to talk. The minute you get around Bill, you're swooning. Everybody is. And he comes up with this idea. He goes to Frank, do you know how many dogs and cats there are in this country? <laughs> We need to have channels for the pets. As of 2015, there are several dog and cat specific channels on Roku that supply dedicated pet programming based on scientific studies of what interests them. Um, so when we leave the house, we ask our Google to play music for dogs. Yeah. And it plays like it's got quite the playlist. And like some are like like secular songs and some are just instrumental. But we put that on for Gabby. Okay. Like, I remember leaving the TV on for the dog and stuff like that. So there's noise yeah, in the house. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's just the idea of how interested do you think they really are. But <laughs> there we are. Um, so uh, Frank's told everything is riding on this Christmas Eve broadcast. Again, why is everyone waiting for December 23rd to get invested in this program? 
<laughs> and we meet Bryce Cummings, played by John Glover. Um, he was all right as the smarmy West Coast guy. Um, he's the ambitious enemy who has connections with the boss. Ethan, it reminded me of when we did How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Oh. This is Bud yeah. Frump. Yeah. If Bud Frump was, like, was, was a little more smooth and successful yeah. at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Frank tells Grace that they have to work late, but Grace is like, I can't work late. My kid's got a hospital appointment. And it's not really ever finished, but I guess she just puts her foot down, and that's good. We find out his brother James is waiting for him. Uh, I believe James is a real-life Murray brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't have uh, all three of his brothers who are act are in this film. One of them is this guy. There's another one I, I didn't get tracked down. I, I can look it up, but yeah. And then there's a third one who I definitely know who he is. Um, they walk by some street musicians. Kirsten, I don't know if you caught this because you'd be familiar with I it. I did. Okay, so who is I it? Did. Who is it? Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer from uh, the David Letterman show is... Also- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he was that. He was also in some other movie we watched before, not not long ago. I'm trying to remember what it was, but yeah, Paul Schaefer shows up in a lot of things. I like so, him in Shit's Creek. You, wait, sorry, what? In Shit's Creek, Paul Schaefer's in Shit's Creek. Yeah, he plays. Um, he plays the musician when Moira is having a dream about the part, or when Johnny's having a dream about the parties of yesteryear. Oh, I must have picked and, up on that. Then I must have. Yeah, yeah. And it's David and Moira singing, and well, that like, makes sense because yeah. Paul Schaefer is Canadian. Yeah. So there we are. Uh, yes, I've called him the world's most dangerous street band because at this time, David Letterman was doing the um, – he's doing the late show. Yeah, he's doing the late show, which is the show after the Tonight Show. So it's what Conan did for so many years, and then Fallon did it. And now that Fallon's on the Tonight Show, I don't remember who's got – the oh, the late show. It's, it's, it's uh, James Corden, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, because he's no James Corden, CBS. Yeah. No, 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 that's not right. Yeah. It's um, Seth Meyers, isn't it? Is it Seth Meyers? Okay, so he was doing that show, and in that time, they, they were called the world's most dangerous band, and they had to rebrand when they went to CBS. So then it just became the CBS Orchestra. So it was um, Spinal Tap that he. That's uh, it. He was in this. We, is, yeah, yeah. I think Sorry, he's I was also wrong. in SNL. It, yeah, it's Stephen Colbert. No, no, that's not true. Stephen Colbert is has David Letterman's old CB. So, the Tonight Show and the late and the Late Show, late night, late show. One of them. Well, the Late Show is Stephen Colbert. Okay, the Late Show. Late night with. Okay, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, but tonight, late night. CBS. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is is there no one at NBC at twelve thirty? Seth Myers, yeah. Okay, thank you. So we're back to Seth Myers. Okay. Because <laughs> Cole. Well, sorry, it's two different names. Colbert is in the. So when David Letterman leaves NBC, because Jay Leno gets The Tonight Show, he jumps across and competes with Jay Leno and creates The Late Show. And that's. Yeah, so then they, they go head to head for a while. And when Letterman leaves that gig, Colbert goes in there. So Colbert and Fallon are opposite each other. And then I guess Myers is opposite um, Corden. There's a great book on a totally side note called The Late Shift, written by Bill. Oh, I wish I remembered his name. The Late Shift. And it's about all the late night wars of the late 80s oh, yeah. and early 90s. It's, it's a fascinating read. He did a follow up one called Desperate Networks, which is all about how Survivor and Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy and all these shows get their start. Brilliant read. If anybody's interested in American uh, television programming, they're both. I have to give that a look. They're both absolute must haves. Uh, yeah. 
So I was kind of hoping he'd do a second one with the whole Conan Leno second feud. I thought oh, that was good, I thought yeah. that was rife for for a follow up to the Late Shift, and we didn't get, we don't have one yet. Um. So there we are. Uh, oh, the other musicians for the record are Miles Davis. Oh, yep, David Sanborn and Larry Carlton. So I mean, Paul Schaefer and Miles Davis are the two big ones. But yeah, yeah. Frank steals a cab from some old lady, and he's a complete jerk about it. And then we smash cut to him winning the humanitarian of the year. What a great! Bye, bye, Grandma. Bye, bye. What a! So I will always treasure this, and he just leaves it intentionally in the cab. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the picture is of uh, a man with like a child on his shoulder, which is the classic uh, like yeah. end of Christmas Carol picture of Scrooge. With Tiny Tim. Um, so there we go there. Uh, it's gone from bad to worse for Elliot as Frank leaves his humanitarian. We've seen that already. Uh, we got lots of cutaways to, to Elliot. I'm not really going to talk about it. He's just, the whole movie, he's just getting, things are getting worse and worse and worse for him. Yeah. Claire walks uh, with her child, uh, whose name is, oh, my word, I had it. Calvin, 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 Calvin yeah. apparently Calvin Coolidge was was the silent president. That's why they called him Calvin. Um, and we get told, ironically, we do a talk, don't show. We get told that he can't speak uh, as she's getting off the subway. There's a cop car. Go, my word, it was a sirens on. So we're like, OK, thank you, movie. I now know this is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> you have done the 1980s bad neighborhood trope for me. I appreciate all you need were some guys gathered around a garbage can on fire and I would have gone and you hear a cat scream as well a cat scream yeah Yeah. Uh, and I would have realized that it was a bad neighborhood but we go back to Frank's office and all hell is breaking loose literally and someone's trying to get in and it's doing all the story beats of a Christmas carol we know what they are and that's why I love adaptations because you get to save a lot of time and go I know what this is this is Jacob Marley and um, he goes ahead and he grabs from his desk. There's a handgun on top of the script for Scrooge. Again, going, okay, if this is this big of a deal. Why did you wait till December 23rd? You clearly were reading this. But we meet Lou Hayward, uh, who's played by John Forsyth. Uh, it's Jacob Marley. He's decomposed rather than a ghost form. He's like, just like a body. Frank blames seeing him on alcoholism which is a tie into the original book because in the book he blames him on a piece of undigested beef or cheese or mustard. Yeah, there's more, gra- there's more gravy than a grave about you and all that stuff. Very good. And he goes, oh, you were so great at business. And he goes, mankind should have been my business. And that's a line pretty much out of Christmas Carol. There weren't many of them, but it was one of them. Frank no-sells the three ghosts until he's picked up in a chokehold and placed outside um lose arm breaks literally and he goes falling but he lands back in his office the phone auto calls claire i thought we just could have had someone do that for him like why couldn't the ghost have just like done it himself but he leaves leaves a panicked message and he drinks and the golf ball that came out of lou's head previously is now in his mouth that's pretty gross uh, and we learned that this girl, um, this girl, Claire, um, who I think I might actually call Grace a minute ago, Claire. Whoops. I think you called Grace Claire. Yeah. 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 So um, we did it with someone called Claire. We don't know who she is yet. Uh, and it's been 15 years since they've seen each other. And uh, there's that. Back at Grace's house, the other children have decorated the mute child. <laughs> 
which it actually I so don't cute. I don't mind because I think basically um, I think the, the the cast of Community would borrow this gag years later when they dress yeah. Troy. Yeah. Oh, Christmas, Christmas Troy. Troy. Oh, yeah. Christmas Troy. But here's my thought. They go, why can't we have a tree? And he goes, when we can afford it. And I'm like, why do you have all the decorations for a tree then? Well, because she probably had a real tree in the past when she could afford it. Is it before her husband died. Is it, is it that simple? I think so. Are trees that expensive? Is a plastic tree, is a fake tree that expensive? When you're living... Uh, Paycheck to paycheck. Hey. But, I mean, she's working for Bill for for Frank. You think she'd be getting a little bit more money? Oh well. See, here's the other problem. This this movie assumes that Frank sets the salary. Mm-hmm. And at IBC, like it's a huge corporation. Frank ain't setting the salary for his yeah. for his assistant. And her son, I'm, I'm going to call it her son. There was a box. I'm assuming it's a son's. There was a there was a two companies who got a lot of product placement in this film. One was Black and Decker, and the other one was Nike. And there was a box of Nike shoes on that table. And I'm sorry, if you're buying your kid Nike shoes, you can afford a plastic Christmas tree. Or maybe one of the older kids bought those shoes for themselves. Like, I mean, you don't know. She was also living with her grandma, wasn't she? Like, that's right, not her grandma, her mom. I get the impression the other yeah. one was, was her mom. Am I wrong? I was going to say, there was another older lady there. Yeah, I, I don't but know. I don't think they ever explain who she is, but that's just my inference, is that it's... I like that the older lady knew that the kid was being decorated and didn't say anything. I love that. Like, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> if, if if the kid doesn't want to, he'll still, like, take, like, he's not, he'll just take the tinsel off. It's like, oh, I can't talk, so I guess I have no way of saying that I want this done. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe it was also a lesson. Like, you know what? Maybe this will make him talk because he'll be like, "Stop it! Stop it!" Yeah, having been around children, you know, at various ages, especially like babies, they let you know when they don't like something. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, so there we go. The next morning, uh, IBC has killed an old woman with the ad. <laughs> I love his reaction. He puts Who is his, that? He puts She's his, pretty. He puts his face in his hands, and for a moment, this random blonde executive who won't appear for the rest of the film. Uh, thinks he's upset and then it turns out he loves it says move it up to every 30 minutes with a disclaimer and i get the logic behind that actually i'm actually quite okay with that uh the censor has an issue with the fact that yeah, this is kind of a character who'd be sort of used for the rest of the film uh has a f- problem with the fact you can see the dancing girl's nipples i think it's the areola i don't think it's a nipple yeah yep well this is like at the time where they didn't really differentiate between areola and is that right okay it was, just, it was just basically if it wasn't just the flesh color you, you know what i think it is i think nipples a funnier word yeah areola, areola is too, too long it's four it's four syllables you don't have that double and also the plosive nipple like it's, it's, it's just a fun word i have news okay Remember about four or five episodes ago, I said, I think Argentina will win the World Cup. <laughs> Ethan, I said I was going to throw to this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, on. it's because it, ju- it just happened. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we started recording like 45 minutes before the end. And within that time, um, Argentina were winning 2-0. Yeah. And then France decided we'll get two goals as well. So they have just been, um Yeah. They've been drawed for like the last twenty minutes, and Argentina just got their third goal with like barely any time left on the clock. So, so, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so, so is it over? Uh, they've added ten more minutes. Never ten mind. Ten minutes. 
they've been really generous with the added time in Qatar. Well, there was seven. There was like seven extra minutes in the first half, and they did Jeez. nothing bad happened. Well, we shall see. There we go. Um. Yeah. No, I had a spot for that, but but there yeah. we go. Sorry, we're gonna this see me lose in like real time. Over my head. Uh, Ethan predicted many episodes ago that Argentina would win, at which point we gave him a lot of grief because Ethan's a fairly recent convert to, 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 to soccer, as you as, might call it, football, as we would call it. As I've learned. Yep. <laughs> and then they lost their first match. Was it to Saudi Arabia? It was, yeah, it was to Saudi Arabia. And so we were ripping on Ethan going like, it shows you what Ethan knows, right? And then he said, well, they can still win. And I was like, yes, they still can. There still is a, a path that they can still make it to the final. And then as far as they've gotten, it has become this kind of thing. So it would be the most Ethan thing ever <laughs> for him to luck out like this. Oh, and, for, yeah. and for me, who's been so very vocal against Ethan to be proved wrong in this capacity. So I, am, I also, because Dwayne yeah. was like, I don't think Ethan knows anything about <laughs> football. His punditry is bad. I I want this just to be my crowning achievement. Let everybody notice, like Ethan takes like serious grudges here, guys. <laughs> like, he's, he's like he's like carving into like his like hate list. I will get my revenge here. You know when calling um, people out. Yep. You know when Arya's got her little list of people that she's being like the Hound, Cersei. That's me going to bed each night. A Game of Thrones reference. Quite quite nervy for five years ago now, but yeah, no, I do, but I do get what you mean. Yep. I've I've only started like actually watching it, and I, it's really interesting watching it now, knowing how it ends, despite knowing nothing else. I do want to do a clear for takeoff of it one day with Georgia because I think she's going to absolutely be hated and may even be traumatized by it. So I've never yeah. seen an episode. I you think, know what? That first episode is nowhere near as rough as the first episode of House of the Dragon. Oh, I oh sorry, I'll okay. That. I haven't seen any House of the Dragon. I do need uh, to do that. Yeah. Um, so, um, so we're talking about the nipples of the areolas is where we were. Um, (laughs) one of the stagehands says, you can hardly see them nipples. Ad lib. (laughs) Oh, jeez. I just love that the two of them are just like staring right Well, he's looking. I mean, yeah, it it is the eighties. It is. is Now, the, the only thing that gets away with this, I think, is that Frank's playing a slime ball. You know what I mean? So he clearly is this kind. So how much can we forgive it? I don't. Some. Some is the answer. Because yeah. the character is supposed to be a slime ball. We're told he's a slime ball. Um, and then we hear someone say, Lumpy. And we meet Claire, played by Karen Allen, who you might recognize from Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah, or Marion. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> the yeah. first or fourth Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> Have you only watched oh. Last Crusade? Uh, well, I've seen them, but like I- I've seen them like a couple times, maybe. Like I've seen the one with I've seen Sheila both Booth once or whatever his name is. Is so she plays his mom? Yeah, she plays Sheila Booth's yeah. mom. Yep. Um, yeah, that was the first. And the I only reason I remembered that he was in it was because didn't you guys talk about him last week or the week before? What Sheila Booth? Yeah, yeah. How he's a cannibal, Ethan said, or George said. Something oh like yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Um, the score tells me that Claire is something special, and we have a two shot that confirms this. So good, good choice on changing the the cinematography in this film was actually really quite good. I was I was I was really quite okay with it. And then I've got my notes. Curse, I'm curious if you got this. I've got my notes. I'm sure of a nurse attending the fallen censor is Mimi from the Drew Carey show. I didn't even notice. And it was Mimi from the Drew Carey show. Was I was 100 percent right. Yeah, younger, she smaller, was- but yeah. She was in a lot of things in the 80s and 90s. Well, this is before she, she looked, gets big. 
Exactly. Yeah. So she had all those little. Oh, spots. she was she was kind of like playing a straight actress, and then she gets but Mimi, and Mimi becomes this such a caricature. Yeah. And that's it, right? With I mean, she was like the first drag queen who wasn't a drag queen, kind of like with the hair and the makeup. That look, that aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, the, the a mouse. They try to put some antlers on a mouse. They talk about staples. Um, Murray wanted several changes to the script once he joined the project, and amongst other changes, he wanted more of the romantic plot with Karen Allen's Claire to be expanded. And the family scenes were also reworked because Murray felt they were off. Um, I think, I don't know what his feelings are. I didn't, the romance never got me. The relationship with the brother is slightly better, I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my take on it. That felt stronger compared to all the other Christmas Carol stuff. Like there is, I think this is the weakest love story. Well, I don't know. Bell's always bells because he never gets back together. It's never a thing in any other, in any other Scrooge movie. So the fact that I'm like, how do we get him back together? That's a big ask. Yeah. I think I watched the extended cut of Muppets Christmas Carol, uh, last week and oh my God, those extra two minutes, they changed how you perceive that relationship. Well, like we always had that in Canada on the VHS. So the love is whenever I was like, Oh, this, this change is a 30 year mistake. I'm like, what 30 year mistake? This is the movie <laughs> also, I know. It's different. Huh? It's different it was great in the cinema. I'll give you, it that. Kirst, you know the song where it's like when Scrooge the breaks up? Yes. Like that was never in the, in, in, in the theatrical release. And therefore, for some people, they're only seeing that for the first time now. And I'm like, oh, wow. that, okay. I'm like, that's the version I know. <laughs> I mean, clearly, I've seen it so many times that I can sing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, and then at the end, of course, they finish with the love we found, the yeah. love we found. So that makes more sense now. Yeah, but if you're there, otherwise, you're like, okay, what's the song about? <laughs> and, and and the love he found it's not about her love and that romantic love it's just about love for people and i'm like that's a really nice yeah. message yeah so this is why this is a bit a bit tricky um frank then sees calvin's on set and like way overreacts like at first i'm like oh he's doing a bit nope no he just literally hates children he like throws him against the oh. wall Yep. I also, and it, do, it, question, do, it, it doesn't help with the kids black either you have to question grace's mentality and her logic though i mean she knows what he's like and yet she's like i'm gonna bring my kid to the set i don't think she's thinking her boss is going to treat him well, like he's breaking into steel stuff no, but, but i mean she should have known maybe that he wouldn't be a welcome presence there. And like i said like it, it's a pretty white set isn't it yeah, yeah. you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of ethnic diversity, diversity on there. No. And so when you find this black child and the white boss like throws him against the wall, you're like, oh, that's not good. I think the yeah. only like people of color in, in four are the dancers that they just yeah. used to be like, look at her nipples. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And there was um, a philosopher, a media philosopher called uh, Bell Hooks who believed that black women are over-sexualized more than their white counterparts. Oh, yeah. And, like, you look at this, and you're like, why did it have to be... I'm sure there was a discussion about why that person. The term we use, I think we use now in theory for this, is called misogynoir, which is specifically sexism towards uh, black women. Okay, uh, Bell Hooks used... It's not about that, but she has something called intersectionality, and it said you can't reduce someone to one thing. So... You know, Bell Hooks is like, I am black, but I am also a woman. So I can't only talk about being black when I'm being a woman. I'm a black woman. Or if I'm a a uh, 
a white gay man, then you got to keep both those things in mind. I'm not just yeah. one or the other of of those things. So it's about the, the, the so in other words, a white woman can't compare her journey towards feminism and equality in the workplace with 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 the black woman because there's different parameters and it's just yeah. foolish to say we're the same. We'll, we'll not, we're not, and we need to acknowledge that. So that's kind of where Bell Hooks is going. I, I, France have equalized. We're gonna watch me lose this. Wow. Uh, France are gonna, we're gonna watch me lose this in real time. This. I thought you were gonna give some insight into what we were talking about. No, no, I just got a thing. Pop Ethan's up my phone. only issue, and I respect this because I'd be the same way too. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Do I, I need to be? Do I get to go? Acknowledge me. Or not. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> His gaze goes off to the side, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna give us something like inspirational here to like. No. no, my iPad was like, "What if I notify?" I keep telling everybody, Hermes curse. Like, like, this is what you get with Ethan. All right, <laughs> I'll say something really clever. He gets like, you thinking every like couple episodes. Yeah, he gets you thinking like, "Dude's really getting this," and then he just does something like this. It just is what it is. <laughs> um, we find out that Claire is still single, but he won't tell her what happened to him last night. Um, and the whole set, he's like, stop hammering, stop hammering. Why you're hammering December 23rd on something you've been working and everything falls down. Like, was everything dependent on that one beam being, if so, like I've, I've, I've worked on some pretty low rent sets before. Um, 40, was it 30 million dollars? 40, $40 million. Dollar million they have for this. Yeah. Um, it, it falls on the sensor, which was a funny recurring gag that she keeps getting more and more and more hurt as it goes on. Uh, we go to lunch, and for a moment, I think the head waiter who's serving him is Terry Bradshaw. And then I'm like, oh, not Terry Bradshaw. Kirsten, do you know who Terry Bradshaw is? Yeah, he's the uh, football guy. Yeah, he's also the uh, dad in Failure to Launch. Yes. yes. Like, I, I know him, but okay. I don't, you know. Uh, Frank is mirroring the behavior of his boss very clearly. Whatever yeah, his boss does, he the, does. And it's where they're wiping down the utensils. Oh, yeah, yeah. His boss brings like his own cutlery with him. I'm like, that's an odd move. I, I had to laugh because I'm like, well, welcome to post COVID in Canada. Like, yeah, it's true. Yeah, bring your own stuff everywhere. Um, and then his boss announces he's bringing someone else on board in order to help with the load. And we re-enter Bryce. Now, like Frank starts hallucinating stuff and. I don't know what to do with this because is Frank just going crazy? Because well, there's the eyeball. So, and so the their fault the is everything that he goes through. Is it just so? Is it just a hallucination, or does he actually go through an experience? So, a bit of my take on it was, you know, how he he kind of chalked it up to being an alcoholic earlier, like yep. seeing the. So when you're coming off of being like when you're in withdrawal with alcoholism, you do have hallucinations. But he has that bottle of vodka in his desk. Oh, so he's not, he's he's not coming bad. off anything. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to mention this earlier. I just found out this week I was watching a documentary on something. And when you were talking about Tab, he was drinking Tab and vodka. Yeah. Drinking um, any alcohol with a diet soda. Actually, um, you get, I think they said something like 17% drunk or faster. Oh, because of the sugar levels being off. Because you're getting so sugar from remember. the booze and you're not getting it from your from your soda anymore. Yeah. Okay. So you're getting so your body's processing the alcohol more than it is whatever you're mixing. Wow. So I'm like for a lot of this Everybody there's your there's your, your there's your party tip this holiday season. <laughs> if you want to get drunk, if you want to get drunker faster, you, diet coke, and then, please and thank you. 
And then later, like, it shows him going to pour a drink. And, like, there was, like, no soda, but his hand was shaking so badly. And that's another sign of withdrawal and alcoholism. So it's also a sign that you're being it's also a sign that you're being haunted by three spirits. There's that, too. But I mean, (laughs) like, so for me, a lot of it, I'm like, is he just on a constant, like, either withdrawal or buzz? Like, does he... Anyway, it'd be a very interesting remake if, if we just frame it down the idea of he's, he's an alcoholic. Yeah, because the eyeball makes no sense because either things are real or things aren't yeah. real. But this movie wanted and to have it both no, ways. And there's no ghost present at no. this point or no spirit. So, so, and we clearly see way. we clearly see the phone call ringing itself earlier. So it's yeah. like what is going on? Like if we were to do like some sort of like fight club thing at the end and we find out he's doing all these things, that would, that would be a crazy reveal. <laughs> I can't but, think of another Christmas Carol adaptation. It's like before the ghosts appear, they mess with him to this degree. Yeah. Cause also there's not as much time between Marley showing up to the ghost appearance. Like no, usually it's expect the next ghost in an hour. As yeah. opposed to now, because of the yeah, corporate the landscape of this, they, they they tweak it, but yeah, yeah. Because yeah. at first, I thought they were trying to imply that the waiter who gives him the drink is supposed to be like a mess, spirit yeah. here, yeah, like, yeah. to mess with him. Because they, but then I was like, okay, that would make sense. Because then he'll go in the taxi, and it will be that guy. But no, no, it's it's um, what? it is is not. So, um, Frank hallucinates also a guy with his arm on fire, and he gets a bucket and he like puts him out. And says, I'm sorry, I thought you were Richard Pryor. And I believe this is a story about Richard Pryor. He was speedballing and he lit himself on fire at one point. He doused himself with like a very high concentrate of rum or vodka or something and set himself on fire. And he went and he ran down the street or something like that. So like that was hilarious when I heard that. Like I laughed pretty hard because I mean, I've heard the stories, but I don't know the facts. Right. Um... Oh, I realized all this excitement I'm having about stuff with fantasy football. Um, like it hasn't started yet. We're recording much earlier than usual. So I'm just rem- I'm just remembering this and going, oh, all these like I'm like, oh, all these purple trophies. I'm doing really well. No, nope, uh, games don't start for another 15 minutes. So there we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> dang it! Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, I'm definitely beating Stu. No, we haven't kicked off the today's <laughs> games yet. There we are. Um. So Murray then on the way out falls on his way out of the restaurant. Not scripted. I was um, going to say that felt like a, like an a-, a genuine accident. The actor playing the waiter has a reaction, and uh, where you kind of watch it, it was due to the stairs still being wet after splashing the waiter with water. It caused him to lose his footing. He gets into a cab, and then um, we meet the ghost of Christmas Past, played by David Johansson. Uh, originally, comedian Sam Kinison was considered for the role, but this is a personal friend of Murray's, so nepotism. Three brothers, good buddy. Yeah, that's true, too, yeah. They must have really wanted him on this film. Oh, they didn't. I mean, we saw that he was offered the role two years ago and didn't, yeah. and I guess they didn't think about anybody else for it. It would be really hard for anybody else to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Chevy Chase. Um, he's got the ID. It checks out his cab license as Ghost of Christmas Past. It's pretty funny. We go back to 1955, which is really quite quite fitting because 1955 is also the year they go back to him, Back to the Future. I was going to oh. say, I got such a Back to the Future vibe. Using this. a car as a yeah. time machine. 
Um, Frank's watching TV way too close to the set. It reminded me of a show called Dream On that was on uh, American Cable way back in the day. Um, and we meet Frank's dad, played by Brian Doyle Murray. And I say that's Murray. His brother, right? That's his older brother. If you remember Groundhog Day, he was the mayor of Punxsutawney. He was the um, boss in uh, Christmas Vacation. Oh, he's the boss in Christmas Vacation. The film we should have been reviewing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's bought Frank five pounds of veal for Christmas, not a choo-choo train. And I don't know. He's guilted for not having a job when he's four. Like this guy, if he's got this much of an issue with people not working for reasons like I'm four, he's going to love the 21st century. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> He's, um, Frank's chastised for not doing anything growing up but watching TV. And he goes, well, look, it worked out okay for me, didn't it? And Frank says, I want to go to my office. And so they go to the office, 1968, and Frank keeps working around the Christmas party. But Lou's saying, hey, have you noticed there's a Christmas party going on? And I'm like, hold the phone. Lou can't be both Marley and Fezziwig. <laughs> and you're turning him into both into both Marley and Fezziwig, and that's not fair. Because Fezziwig's supposed to, like, you know, em- embolden and represent, like, joy. and Fezziwig's a good boss. He says, basically... Yeah, somewhat naivety and stuff. If you've... Not, not naivety, because I don't think he's naive. Um, mm. But if you look at, at Scrooge, because people would go, okay, Scrooge had a bad upbringing, so Scrooge doesn't know any better. That's why Scrooge is a jerk. Well, then you got to reconcile Fezziwig, because Fezziwig showed him how to be a good boss and how to treat your employees. And it's at that moment that in the novella that Scrooge says, I'd like to have a word with my Clark now. That's all. And he feels you know, convicted in his heart because he should be doing better than he is. And so when we got this, I'm like, I don't understand um, he turns down this girl who's clearly um, interested in going home with him. So yes? I thought that she was the one who showed him the paper and was rubbing his shoulders about the old lady dying. No, this is a different. This is just a different woman. Okay, this is a girl. Because just- the way the way he reacts when like his old self is isn't going home yeah. with her. Yeah, okay. it's like you just turned down a sure thing. But I don't know why he's so, because it feels like it's the same night that he meets Claire. Yeah. It, it, well, we, it is because he says to her, do you want to go to a Christmas party? Well, she says no. could just be a Christmas Eve of the next year. He's working at the same place. Oh, true. But it does seem like, so it seems weird because then he meets Claire. And um, we find out the, you know, they, they bump their heads. And this is the genesis of the name Lumpy, which I thought, you know, it's all right. It seems a strange thing that something that happened the first night you met someone becomes the sole nickname for them for the next, like, 20 years, but okay. Do you not remember Kenny Rogers that we used to work with? I do remember. I'm the one who called him Kenny Rogers for the first time. The first night you met him. That was me. There was this guy who started working with us at the factory, and he looked an awful like Kenny Rogers. His name was Jamie. But uh, we were doing... He was do- the nicest guy. He was nice. And we'd have to move uh, bits of machinery around. We'd change what car we were working on. And I got on the radio because I had one. And I said to my boss, I went, hey, if Kenny Rogers is still up in the review, can you send him down my way, please? I need, I need a hand. And I, you know, he was right. Like Everybody was right around him. So I mean, it created a big pop. And so when he got hired on, like we all called him Kenny. No one ever called him his real name, <laughs> ever. And he was cool with it. He was all right with it. But yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was just Kenny Rogers. So yeah, I guess in that case, you're not wrong. There is something in that. Um, so uh, we go to, we move forward a year. And we get a pretty unnecessary bathtub shot 
of of her in the bath. I don't know why we needed this. Come open a present. She could be in the bedroom drying her hair. She could be in the kitchen making coffee or baking cookies or anything else in the history. I don't want to just do baking cookies because it's like a female thing. She could be doing anything. But instead, let's have her in the bath. Was she she shaving her legs? I can't remember. Her legs were visible. I don't remember her shaving them. Yeah. Um, So it's because they want to open presents a day early. He bought her knives. I'm all about that. I'm all about the idea of, oh, absolutely. I've gifted knives before. Yeah. She but bu- when you give knives, you're supposed to give um, a coin of some kind, money of some kind. To, otherwise, it's supposed to sever your relationship. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, she was already about ways to bring them together because she bought him the Kama Sutra. And it's a nice moment. They're joking. They're They're playful. It's intimate. It's, they feel like a fit for like the only time in the whole movie. I had to laugh because he's like, can you read the beginning? Because it's in Sanskrit. And then he goes, don't blow the ending. You think that you think that was intentional? There are a lot of little things. There are. There are. No, no, it could. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about a book on like different sexual things. And yep. It's the Kama Sutra. Sorry. (laughs) It's a bit of an awkward conversation with your brother. (laughs) Uh, they, they didn't really give us, like, you know, no. anything to I go off I just laughed like, when he's know. like, yeah, I've done that, done that. Yep. Uh, we go on to 1972, and he's working on the Frisbee show. Um, The only real reference we had that he was a performer of any kind? Yeah. Uh, there's an engraving on the back of one of the set's trees. There's a heart with an arrow through it that says Dick and Lauren. That's for director uh, Richard Donner and his wife. Oh. So that's quite nice. Um, Lou invites Frank and Claire to have dinner with himself and his secretary. And he's like, yeah, we can go ahead. And there's a clash of his brother. But, hey, it's Christmas Eve. And I've got, why is Lou's wife away on Christmas Eve? His boss was literally the same guy who said, don't work too hard on Christmas. Just so he can go to dinner with his secretary? Well, this is like a, a crazy, like, just, just cast a second actor. Mate, write in a different character for Fezziwig. Within the space of, like, I'm assuming, because he goes from being in the mailroom to being the dog in it, that's a couple years. Yeah. The, he goes from be he goes to just becoming the scumbag, but... It, yeah, the problem is, when they decided to make Lou his former boss, then you gotta do Fezziwig with him as well. Why yeah. couldn't it be, like, his buddy, who they were both coming up together? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even if he was just, like, his protege, and that's just when he went to the new studio or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Claire wants to separate because he's been under a lot of stress. He does say it's been rough before he puts the head back on. I'm like, that, that's why I asked you if you thought the don't blow it was, was, was a thing because I'm going rough. That was really yeah. funny. I didn't pick up that's on it. What I was thinking. Now, she didn't notice it, but I, I noticed that I'm like, I hear you, Bill Murray. Again, I'm here for you. I was a little traumatized for the kids that he takes his head off of the dog in front of the children. I don't think that would work at Disney. <laughs> Frank then shouts at Bell because he's he's sort of come and snaps back and he's now back in the present. Um, and he's yelling at the woman playing Bell. Um, he goes to Operation Reach Out to, to reconnect with. Uh, oh, sorry. I kind of judge. I want to talk about this. I kind of judge Claire. Okay. In the the past. Not that she should. 
Like, it really is. Now, he's a complete jerk. Like, he goes, well, maybe you don't put my needs, but this is for his career. And rather than whatever, she goes, well, you can do it any time. And it's like, it's not like maybe we can do both. Maybe we can let your brother know we'll be by later and we can apologize. But but this is a thing. And then when he's like, no, this is really important for my, she's like, well, maybe we should just separate then. And I'm like, okay, this kind of came out of nowhere. I'm wondering if there's some story missed. Like, I wonder, because she said, well, they're our best friends. And I'm like, is this something they do yearly? Like, is this a tradition? Is this something like these were her friends before? And so it's a tradition she's had for a long time. So it means it's his brother. There were two missing minutes. His brother. That's right. It's yeah. It just, (laughs) I don't know. Missing minutes of this film that they'll have for the 30th anniversary (laughs) version of this. film. fix everything. That that was no, the 30th anniversary was like four years ago. Never mind. Quick question. This came up. uh, I saw uh, Danny Fitz, musical posted it. One movie. You can recast all the actors but one with Muppets. Oh, some I saw, and I'm I'm taking this from <laughs> from the source. Um, Brett Goldstein, who you might know as Roy Kent. Okay. Um, he wants to do because he interviewed the Muppets for the Muppets Christmas Carol 30th event uh, last week, which is really weird to see him of all people with them. But he said he wants to do Pride and Prejudice with the Muppets where he's Mr. Darcy and Miss Piggy is, um, oh, I can't remember her name. I think <laughs> Elizabeth be good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. You said that. Cause I was just thinking like, cause I was thinking Christmas movies and I'm like, love actually would be great. And the only like human being like Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant. I, I kind of want Miss, to only Miss, Miss Piggy is the, uh, secretary. N- Natalie. Natalie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's quite funny. <laughs> I went the other direction. Totally. The departed. Oh god! <laughs> and I was gonna say Leo. I've changed your mind, and only Jack Nicholson is a human. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so Kermit's there, and he's being tortured. He's like, "Are you a rat?" And he's like, "I'm not a rat." You can have like Rizzo guys in the background <laughs> being like, "It's not us, boss." <laughs> <laughs> so, like you know, the do 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 like it completely is violent. All the f bombs. Everybody still dies, but oh, it's geez. Muppets. I stay victorious. Oh, did they win? On penalties. Wow. France bottled it in the penalties. Well, that's only fair, I think, after uh, what happened to poor Harry Kane. Yeah. So there we go. So so Ethan somehow fell backwards into a correct prediction. Yeah. There we go. Well done, you. I, I wanted them to win because this is Messi's last ever World Cup, and I like the idea that his fight, he gets to win. And he scored He scored a penalty in the, uh, in the actual meet of, of the match. He got a, yeah, he he got scored, a, a he goal. Yeah, he scored... T- uh, two of the three, and then he scored oh, the he? first. Yeah, he, f- he scored the first penalty. He's just of retired PSG. tonight. Like, this is yeah. not, it's not going to get any better. The thing is, either way, PSG are great because the two best players on no. each front in um, Argentina both w- uh, play for that team. Da 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 da. This is Sports Center. <laughs> um. So uh, Frank goes to Operation Reach Out. He's ranting. And they think he's mentally like I think he's got like some like like m- mental challenges, um, and they sort of adopt him as like one of their own. Uh, Frank then sees Claire and says, "I want to get back together," and she's like, "Yeah, okay." And so let's go back to my place and eat Chinese food. So that's obviously a metaphor for sex, right? Yeah. Okay, so quite, well, no, because they talked about Chinese food a lot. But they did, but in this case, I think it was clearly a metaphor for sex. They make that weird joke about dogs. The old lady. Who was sitting with him in the, the group of the shelter people? Yep, no idea who you she is. Recognize the old lady? No. She's the mom from Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, really? Okay, I never yeah, saw that it, all the way through. It 
Really? Yeah. I must have seen that like a dozen times as a kid. Yeah. Who was I watching that with? I mean, so um, there's a sl- there's a slight hiccup because there's something about like there's no turkeys and the breakers have gone. And he turns into a complete ass, like a complete ass. I don't understand it. If you went through this very real pain of losing this person, you would not at the sake of it'll take an hour to fix this. Yeah. I, I did not believe this. And I judge her now for ever coming back to him after he does this display here. It was too oh, far. It was, after- it was too far. She sees him at his place of work where he's screaming and harassing people at where he works. Yep. He comes to where she works and immediately does the same thing, especially after having a go at the people that she's trying to shelter as well and then her own employees. And she has no character besides I'm the nicest person who ever was. Yeah. yeah. Which makes the the future a little bit weirder. And yeah. also, I'm like, a, I get the point. Yeah. Still. I'm also the nicest person who ever was, and nobody has ever like won my heart in the time that you've been gone. When he like gives the went, bare minimum, and she's like, "Oh, I love you again." It just went way too far overboard. Like it was like to the point of being abusive, right? To yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you scrape them from your shoe, and I'm like, "What is wrong with you?" Yeah. Herman asked him I, for two bucks for something. I didn't catch what it was, but he's unsuccessful. I think it's for a coffee or something, or just like some some kind of warmth. Yeah. Uh, we go back to the set. Bryce is taking over there and releases them for a dinner break and turns into a power struggle because now he's messing with the broadcast. Um, and Frank starts freaking out and the lights turn out, and then a disco ball starts up, and we reveal the Ghost of Christmas Present, played by Carol Kane. I love seeing her in anything. Unbreakable. Yeah, alive, <laughs> damn it. It's a miracle. Oh, she was in that, wasn't she? Was she's, she the neighbor? She's the, the landlord. landlord? Yeah. yeah. She's all well, worried about gentrification and, like, like chains yeah. herself to... Yeah. Um, I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a couple seasons. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe's in the season finale, and it's great. Is it really? okay. Yeah, it's like an interactive um, movie type thing. Oh, how gimmicky. It, no, it's so fun. Um, I've only seen, like, I think maybe four episodes of it. Donner and Murray said that Kane would sometimes experience long crying periods during filming caused by the frustration over her violent scenes. Okay, so I was going to mention that, like... Like, it's pretty bad how much she, like, hits him and, like, pulls him. And I think because he's been such a bad character and he's just done something really, really terrible. Yeah. I think we see this as, like, comeuppance or, like... like retribution. This is his penance yeah. for his sins. Um, also, the fact that she's so little and her voice is so high-pitched, just like a ballerina, that juxtaposition is funny. I- I'm with you. I don't know if you can do it in 2022. I'm a little uncomfortable. Like as I'm watching it, I'm like, "Well, oh, here's the Amber Heard of this story." I do. That's funny. I do remember. I do remember. Mom loved this. Mom loved the weirdest things. Yeah, though. she was think, howl and laughter. I, I I think Bob did as well. Bob is the name of our stepdad. So yeah, I think he also. Like, mom laughed her head off when they kicked the dog in Men in Black. Oh, that's true. Mom loved, <laughs> mom loved everything with the dog in Men in Black, though. So, uh, Kane herself said, I hit Bill Murray with a toaster and with my wings, and I hit him in areas that weren't pleasant for him. I had fun. I don't think it was as fun for Bill, because he was the victim. I did what the stunt people told me, but when I had to flap my wings in his face, I really couldn't control them. And the dance she's about to do is called the Ball Breaker Suite. 
<laughs> and Carol Kane's ghost was intended to have a body double for the ballet scenes until the set designer saw her rehearsing the dance and said, you should see how bad this dance is. We have to put it on camera. <laughs> and that's what happened because it would be funnier. So um, Murray also endured some physical pain during his, his involvement. Uh, it, he actually insisted that she really hit him. So that was his call. Oh. At one point, though, she took his lip and pulls it, and he really, she really does tear the inside of his lip. That did look like yeah. it looked real. And that's, that's the shot, I believe, that they use. Um, she decks him, and they arrive at Grace's balcony. When asked why she has to, he has to, he has to punch him, she has the truth hurts. That was quite funny. We see Calvin playing with some toy that no one else could make work. I thought that should have been a bigger deal than it was, but okay. We hear Put a Little Love in Your Heart in the background on the radio. You'll need that song for later. And then kind of we just get told the backstory. He hasn't said a word since his father was killed in front of him five years ago. Merry Christmas, everyone. And there's a free South Africa poster because this is during apartheid. So yeah. it's there. I believe it's also, there's one, and I think it's Mel Gibson's Kitchen in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Um, 1951's A Christmas Carol is on the television, and Calvin nods when Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone. We go on to David's house. His wife is played by Wendy uh, Malik, who was on Dream On. Uh, she was on Just Shoot Me. She was the chiropractor on Seinfeld with the hair that kind of goes, you know, very 1960s. And she also had a recurring role on Frasier where she marries Frasier's dad in the end. Um, there's a gift that's being given from everything else. And it's a gift from Frank. And it's the VCR. And everyone loses their minds <laughs> about a VCR. And if you're going, what's the big deal? At the time, a VCR cost 500 to $1,500. And we're told this is top of the line. So probably closer to $1,500. In today's money, that's about three grand. This would have cost. So David's wife chooses this. And so they get. So here's the problem with the script. Because you want to follow the original, which is that the wives are always going, Scrooge is a jerk. And the, the husbands are always going, no, 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 he's all, he's all right. The problem was, in, in, in the original like novella, like Scrooge doesn't give Fred a gift. So you've just given this, this top-of-the-line VCR. Then she goes, he's such a jerk. It's like, this doesn't make sense. He's just given you a $3,000 VCR. Also, you have two Bob Cratchits here. Because you've got Grace, who who has Tiny oh, Tim. Oh, you're and right. And then the brother's supposed to be Fred. He's supposed to be Fred. The, yeah, but the Fred stuff also does... But it's not really the Fred stuff. It's no, still kind of Elli- the Cratchit stuff. Elliot's the other yeah. Bob Cratchit. Yeah. 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 Wow. So you've you got three Bob Cratchits. Well, how's, Fre- how's, how's his brother, Bob Cratchit? I don't get it. Because... <sighs> Because they have all the, like you said, the the women are saying, "Oh, he's the worst." No, nope, like, oh no, he's that okay, the founder of the feast. That no, but that That's happens. Fred true. also does 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 a toast, and he says, "Look, he doesn't come here. What does oh, he miss out? He misses out yeah. on a good meal." And hey, he, you know, let's toast him. He wouldn't have it, but toast we shall to Uncle Scrooge. So yeah, there is that. Yeah. Um. What? So the question wasn't they're playing Trivial Pursuit or something. What was the name of the boat that took them all to the island? The SS Minnow. We move again. Herman's under the street, and he's frozen solid, and I'd forgotten who Herman was as a character at this point. Oh, no. Yeah, this was the first no, this time was, that... This was the first time I went, oh, that's Herman. I had no... I'm seriously... I'm like, who is this? 
I I've think seen I this many times. First time I paid a lot more attention, I think, to the shelter people. Yeah, I didn't pay. Uh, yeah, I just because I'm because when they go there, I'm, I'm going to defend myself as this. I don't really care about the shelter people. They're the people who are in. That sounds terrible, but they're the people who are in the way of the story I care about, which is supposed to be this love story. It's a strange diversion, like to get to where, and I know why it exists, but also his reaction doesn't feel right. Genuine. Yeah, it doesn't feel like how I feel that character would react after the the his like the the experience he had with Herman. I mean, he screams at him afterwards, and he's like, "Oh, why didn't you?" Blah blah blah. But he yeah. had no care at all. I don't think he's he's changed yet. I'll tell you what the the, kind of the movie doesn't care enough about Herman as well. I'm gonna, I'm going right. to talk about this at the end. We get to see Herman, I guess, it, it, yep. once more, but still. So. um Herman's frozen solid. Frank then bursts through a door, which is his way to get out from underneath this grate. And he's on the set of the dress rehearsal, and he sends a barrel into the sensor. There's another laugh point there. They take him up to his office, but when the elevator doors open, there's the ghost of Christmas yet to come, or so we think it's just an actor. But he's so startled, he turns around, and he elbows Grace in the face. That was real. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, she was not supposed to be hit, and she's selling it. Like, God bless her for not, like, uh, I don't know if went back and maybe, because it had a couple different angles, so obviously they went and reshot it. Mm. But I guess they said keep the keep the bit where you hit you in the elbow in. Um, the broadcast starts. I keep going, why does Scrooge have a working-class accent? I don't I think this is what Americans think oh, British people sound like. Oh, right. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, there we are. <laughs> it's just like, that's not, that wouldn't be Scrooge. I'll be up and visited by three spirits, I said. (laughs) The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come shows up behind nine TVs that are showing off uh, what's going on with Scrooge. And we re-meet Elliot Coldwater, Bobcat Goldthwaite. He's there with a gun. Turns out his wife left him, and he's shooting up the office with a shotgun. He's dead to rights, and then Frank falls backwards into the elevator with the Ghost of Christmas yet to come, and he's convinced it's the actor until he opens up the robe, and we see, I don't know, it's puppets or people's faces in his ribcage. It was, it was, it was weird. I love that. Ah, oh, no, I love, I, I love that the look of it. It's the scream because they're screaming as well, and just shut it, open it, like and screaming and shaking again. Yeah, the ribs are the jail, the jail bars or something. Um, and we go to the future, and it's a really quick thing. Uh, I always feel the real movie slows down around stay four, which is when this happens. And it's just like, let's get to the end. Because I don't care about yeah. stay four or stay five, to be honest with you. Uh, Calvin's been committed into a padded room. Uh, Claire is now Cruella DeVille. Yeah, she's got this weird, like, Georgian white face makeup yep. as well. Oh, I. I get the like, oh, it, the future, and it's all white. But and if she's changed blah, blah, blah. to be like yeah. Frank, why are she and Frank not together? Because he's dead, I guess. But, but does she just change like once yeah. he dies? I get, but that doesn't even make sense because that—that's no. literally proving to her he died bitter and angry, and what she was doing was correct. Yeah. Um, Frank thinks uh, James is dead, but he's not. But he's also—he's he got a terrible mustache. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> And he goes, well, who's dead? Oh, it's Frank who's dead. And then he's in the box being cremated. And he goes, I want to live. I want to live. And then he comes out of the elevator and there's Elliot. And it does pick up slightly here because you have the juxtaposition of like Frank's not scared of the shotgun anymore. And that completely disempowers Elliot. (laughs) Are you glad to see me here? Is that a shotgun in your pocket? 
they do like like the dance from like uh, Titanic, where they're all like swirling around, and we get the point of view shots. James Cameron was watching this, going, "I'm stealing that." He goes, "I'm gonna double your salary," which is what he says to Bob Cratchit. So he's definitely a Bob Cratchit. And he said, "The Jews taught me this great word, schmuck. I was a schmuck. I it's a funny joke. Ethan does it. Does it? Does, yeah. this, does it line up? Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I, th- I think it's also the the joke of." Hey, it's Christmas time. We're gonna. I, I want to talk about Jewish vernacular. I think that. I think that just. I, that's a layered joke for me. I don't know if it's intentional, but I thought it was great. It was great. Uh, the finale. Frank interrupts the finale of a show when uh, we you know working class. All right, moment. Won't you go get me a turkey? He flips the coin as the coin lands down. He catches it. Elliot's got control of the control room. Um, he talks to his brother. It just turns into like my own personal sharing time, and I'm like, "This it's like is one way. This is good time. for like six people." You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, his boss is losing it at home, going like, "I'm gonna fire him." Uh, he phones the control room. Elliot then throws Bryce under the bus and suggests homosexual attraction, which causes the, his boss to kick a cat. Yeah, that's not a good. Yeah, this ending goes off the rails so quickly and not in a good way. Um, Frank kisses a girl. Now I'm totally okay with this because she's grabbing his tie and like pulling him in. Yeah. So I'm like, that's fine. He didn't just kiss some girl against her will in the corner. Uh, we're gonna come back to that. Uh, he talks about uh, he talks about get being the miracle. And oh, sorry, the censor kisses Bryce against his will right afterwards. I'm like, yeah. I ain't cool with this. Yeah, I, this is not funny. This is not comeuppance. No, it's because no. she's like on top of him as well. So he he's bound and gagged. Yeah, yeah. he is a hundred percent vulnerable. Yeah, and we're going tee hee hee because we don't like him. I'm like, no, no, no. This is this is way too far. Assault is assault is assault. Like at least in like trading places, it was a gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like a gorilla can't, you know, the idea of consent is probably not that well established in the animal kingdom. So there's some, if you want to do the whole tee hee hee, he was a jerk and this happened. All right. I guess there's that, but this is just no. Um, Bill Murray is then, the, he goes, you know, this clip we heard at the beginning about getting the miracle and that miracle happened in your life. And we need to be so hungry for this miracle and it can happen to you. Bill Murray is the worst kind of person. He's the guy who goes and experiences something and then lectures all of his friends about how they're not, you need to do what I've done. And we're like, none of us were as bad as you, Bill. We didn't need to hit rock bottom on this. We got what Christmas was about. And he's that guy where like, you are the biggest hypocrite. You don't have the right. Worry about you. Worry about you, Bill. Just be, it's like, because I've learned to, I am now the, the pantheon of what it means. In the novella, Scrooge doesn't go around lecturing other people after no. he found his redemption. He just worries about himself. You know, Michael Caine at the end of Up at Christmas Carol doesn't go knocking on people's doors and being like, you're all terrible people. Be like me. No, he just goes, I'm going to make the people in my life. I'm going to be an agent of change. Yeah. <sighs> and he goes, did I forget something, big man? Because Calvin's made his way onto the set. And he whispers, God bless us, everyone. And I will admit, my heart goes, Oh, oh, the whole people, everybody goes, oh, I'm like, how is anybody besides Bill Murray here in that kid? <laughs> and also, I don't think everyone else on set knows the 
like the lore yeah. of he can't speak. And also, like, they're shooting Bill from a pretty tight, like, close up, maybe a mid shot. Yeah. Right? This kid is so short. When he goes on the set, like, his family's like, it's Calvin. Calvin would be below the camera line. It would not, he would not be visible. No, no. He would not be visible. So, um, Claire gets down to the studio from the shelter in literally two and a half minutes. He begins the speech. She's at the shelter. He's finishing the speech. She's in the back of the studio. There's a traffic must be great in New York City. It's what they say about it. Yeah. Secondly, there's no security at this place. But we know that we know that Elliot got in with a shotgun. So maybe it's not that great. <laughs> But the other implication is he killed the security. It just, yeah, <laughs> I go there. So, you know, it's just so insane. Um, so he brings her up and they sort of talk about like some Kama Sutra stuff, which again, no one else is going to get. And then they <laughs> sing, put a little mic. love in your heart with like a stand up piano. That's not going to be mic'd. So I don't know how it's being broadcast <laughs> to everybody. The vocals. Sure. They're all wearing mic packs, but that's about it. We see the ghosts and Herman's there. And that's important because that that is them forgiving Frank yeah. for his act that they can't write themselves out of. So when you see him with the ghost of Christmas present, which I, uh, yeah, present, which I guess means he's going to heaven, although that's not really established. That was, I was sitting there going, no, you can't, you don't get out of it this easy. Because he's <sighs> let someone, like... <sighs> This, he's a lot more problematic in the sense of, I don't think he fully learns his lesson in the same way other Scrooges have. No. No. He just decides, I want to live. And he's so emotionally, like, we've learned this about Bill Murray's character in this, is that he's so all over the rails, that at the first sign of anything not going his way, he's going to throw all his toys out of the pram again and be a complete ass. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say, like the, you don't feel like the change happens deep down. So like what's going to make him flip again to go back to his old ways? Like if you look at the original Christmas Carol novella, or even if you look at some of the performances, including the Muppet one, like the change in Scrooge, like I have an issue with anybody who says it's not until he sees his name on the gravestone that he, no, because Scrooge changing the whole way through. He just said when mm. he's with Fezziwig, I'd like you to say a couple of words to my Clark now. That's all. And you get the idea that he's starting to thaw inside. He's starting to defrost and stop being so cold-hearted. For Bill Murray's character, you only get this once he's confronted with a shotgun by Bobcat. Yeah. Because he has that giant... such a meager salary. He has that giant act to, like, like, hissy fit with Claire. Like, he's learned nothing. Except for that he misses her. But that's not enough. That's not about you. If anything, it sets him back. Yeah, I fully agree. Fully agree. Because the problem, and and this is this is the thing, because because the ghosts are so far spread apart, it means that he's got this breathing time not to contemplate on like himself, because he gets to see, oh yeah, but I'm still great, I'm still quote unquote great now, because it's tie, it's like experience after experience after experience for every other Scrooge. Do you know when the Ghost of Christmas Present shows up? There's only about thirty minutes of runtime left in the film. Oh my god! Like it, it, it really is front loaded, as opposed yeah. to in the film where they get to the ghosts really early and the ghosts do the work yeah. of the characterization. So, yeah, like they got a speed like it's breakneck speed. Like I said, I don't like stay four and stay five. So yeah, get to the finish and get out, but maybe not like this. Yeah, I don't know. 
Um, O'Donohue and Glazer, the writers, found the film's denouement in which Murray uh, reveals his redemption live on TV to be most difficult to write. They set, set on the example of Christmas Eve in New York where people were nice to each other for just one night, believing it was a miracle we could live with. Murray was concerned with how he would portray the scene with Glazer telling him the fall of a script. Wanting a central acting moment, however, Murray gave an emotional and manic performance. And I'll give this, you do see a legit tear in his eye. And I actually believe he's he's believing what he's doing. Hmm. He deviated from his marked positions and improvised his speech. Glazer and O'Donohue thought the actor was suffering a mental breakdown. After he was finished, the crew applauded Murray, but O'Donohue remarked, what was that, the Jim Jones hour? Donner turned and punched O'Donohue in the arm, leaving him bruised for a week. Uh, Frank trying to get the audience in the movie theater to participate was entirely ad-libbed by Murray, as they sing, put a little love in your heart. And I put the feed me Seymour in there uh, as a bit of therapy. I tried out for a, <laughs> for a, for a production of it and didn't get it. <laughs> No, I didn't get it. It was one of those ones where you found out afterwards that you went in for your audition and you didn't get to do everything that some other people did. And you're like, wait, what? I didn't get to read these lines. And they got to read the lines in the middle of a song, but I didn't. That's a bit screwy. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of we've all had. If you're in the Amsterdam world, you've all had an auditioning nightmare of some sorts once or some other point where you're like, uh, was it really up for grabs? I don't know. Mine was also that. Because I didn't get the role I wanted, but then the person playing that role was never there. So they were like, Ethan, can you fill in for this oh, role no. during rehearsals? I'm guessing that was and the I, dentist. No, no, I wasn't. No, no, I, I, oh. it was, it was, it was, it was both, it was Seymour. I wanted Seymour, but they were also like, can you also fill in for Audrey too? Because Audrey too <sighs> is not here. And then, oh no, it was, it was, it was rough. Yep. Yeah. Just so you guys know, you're not alone. It happens in my world too, where they tell you to, put an application in to be on a certain team and then yep. you find out they didn't want mm. you on the team because you're not one of the. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they just, they want to stay. They've given everyone the opportunity. It's just like sports. But they already know who they want. Sports in general, you go out on the field, the bat, you, you score more goals and you win. Yeah. And it's never like you go to play a sports game and they're like, the fix is in. We're really <laughs> going to have this team win. We just haven't told them yet, <laughs> which happens. All, it's just why like, I guess like Amdram is like a microcosm. It's not as real as the real world, but you still want it to be, you want it to be up for grabs when you go in the room. Yeah. That's what you want. The ability that people are willing to go, even if you have a thought in your head as to who you want, because every director should have a thought in their head as to yeah. who they could cast, but you need to be open to having your mind changed. And uh, yeah, it didn't feel that way. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking my wounds a bit. So feed me Seymour, feed me now. <laughs> um, so yeah that's uh, about it as far as that goes so we have hit this time which button is it i think it's we're in the end game now and we are in the end game now just before i get started with that i do have some notes from liam i want to share he does warn us he hasn't watched the film um fresh for this he was too sick to do that but he's passed along some notes to help facilitate he didn't know Kirsty was going to be here so he's going to pass along some thoughts he's put a number but we've agreed it won't count towards the score because it's not a fresh watch and there's some stuff he may have forgotten so uh but we will pass along his notes okay i'm going to try and jump through it beforehand i said i don't know if this would be his his thing here? No, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll read this here. Liam just says, the film has never been one of my favorites only because of the ghoulishness of it. And I feel it has a slight horror edge, 
But when I do end up watching, I find myself enjoying most of it. It's still essentially the same story of A Christmas Carol told differently. Liam's a big fan of A Christmas Carol. He's been Mm. in productions of A Christmas Carol. The message is what makes a great story. Even the bad can turn good, and it's never too late. So we'll leave that there. And he's got some more thoughts about the end game, which we'll get to as and when we need to. I'm going to hijack. Liam's got a random word. I'm not taking his random word. I'm going to give a random word here because this is where I was going to cue Ethan in about the World Cup. I'm going to make the random word miracle. (laughs) Because I think it was gone on enough by the end of it. And I also think that Ethan had an absolute miracle where he predicted something, lost infinitely, and went, we can still win it, and it has <laughs> happened. That is a miracle. Kirsty. I have to know what Liam chose. I always enjoy hearing his. Titanic? What? I, I don't get it. So that's why I've got no problem okay. usurping his. So do not send me a gif of anything Titanic-related. <laughs> miracle. Because I think there's lots of good stuff we, we can do with that. So uh, money, money, money. $32 million budget. What does it take home? Let's start with Ethan. Uh, I think it was, I'm going to go like 190. 190, Kirsty. I wouldn't have said that high because I think Christmas movies are may not always get the same kind of traffic. So I'm going to say 115. Also keep in mind, it's, it's aimed clearly at adults. This is a oh, cynical yeah. and it's a masculine yeah. kind of movie as well. But it has Bill Murray, which I think would up yep. that a bit. 100. 100. Oh, okay. okay, I was close. Okay. Comedy, yeah, I think you're just definitely considered a win. Uh, comedies are a bit of a tough sell in the grand scheme of things as well. Um, it didn't have... Like, they tried to kind of go, some of the, the marketing went, they're back, but this time it's three against one. Because his previous film, the big one, was Ghostbusters. And now he's yeah. meeting three ghosts in one night. I think the fact that show said ghosts and not that's spirits, clever. not by accident. I think that's intentional. Yeah. The awards, none. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. Who would you cast as who? I want to be Elliot. Ah, you would be Elliot. That's actually a yeah. good shout. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, trying to think of where I put Liam. I think Liam would want. I think Liam would want to be the go- the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe the brother, or maybe the cabbie. I was going to say, yeah, the cabbie, either, either the ghost of Christmas past or present. Because I can see George being a very good ghost of Christmas present as well. Oh, that is true. Yeah. Um, am, am I Bill Murray? Is that happening? I I guess because you're the one in charge. By default. I mean, I, I, I can do cynical. That's fine. I can do cynical. Mm. Um, I don't think you'd be as cruel, though. I was going to say. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a natural fit. Nah. But I have played cruel characters before, but it's 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 not my natural go to. Um, yeah, but there's no one. Else. I, I really can't find another part for myself. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm a uh, maybe I'll be I'll be working class Scrooge, all right, Jim <laughs> Gerald. <laughs> Can be with the same accent there. Uh, the woman who uh, gets scared to death of the ad. Yeah, there we go. She's beautiful. I'm trying to think of Kirsty, who you could be. Um, you could be throw mama from the train oh come on i can't be shelter lady and i don't want to be grandma that gets kicked out of the cab i don't think we can cast anybody as like alfred woodard and her family i don't think that's appropriate so can i be your teenage daughter 
I liked her. She was funny. Um, no. If we recast the whole family, sure. I just don't want to be. I don't want to be Claire because she doesn't have a backbone. She doesn't so. have a backbone. There's nothing going for. Her. Um, and I don't want to be censorship lady. Oh, you can be the censor. <laughs> you can be the censor. There we go. I'm so clumsy. So maybe yeah. that would work. That would work. That would work. All right. Um, so there we go there. I'm trying to think of uh, Liam. He wouldn't have picked that up. Yeah. So did this film have a villain problem? Well, no, because the villain is Scrooge himself, isn't it? Yeah. And he's very, he's very villainous. Yeah. Like, he's, he's omnipresent. Yeah. Uh, what should this film have been called? I'm okay with Scrooge. I don't think there's anything that would do a better job of it. Scrooge makes sense in the context of like, he is literally, I, I find the irony of the <sighs> fact that they never, he never actually, he never explicitly refers to the similarities between yeah, what's happening. He never contemplates it. And I'm like, I feel He's both within and outside of this idea that he understands yeah. that Christmas Carol is a narrative. That's a good point. Because even in, even in Doctor Who, he's like, I'm hearing a Christmas Carol. Carol is like, oh, I've got a great idea. I'm just going to do a Christmas Carol. Yeah, that's like, a good point. The explicit statement of knowing what this is. Yeah. Um, let's do uh, whose story is it? Well, it's clearly Frank's story. Yeah. What's the story? It's a story of redemption. It's the same as the original. Yeah. Musical inspiration. Songs that should have been in the uh soundtrack. Hmm. I-, I think I think for when you find Herman Cold as Ice by Foreigner needs oh. to be on the soundtrack. Or Frozen by Madonna. Those are your options. Um I mean, you can't replace that end song. That end song's gotta stay there forever. Yeah. Uh who let the dogs out for when he's working on uh, <laughs> on the show there? Um, when the people are on fire, you can do. Well, it's not a. This girl is on fire, which is my daughter's favorite song. Somebody call nine one one. Short is fire on the dance floor. Whoa! Uh, oh, big, big, big yellow taxi. Uh... Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? Put up a parking lot. Shoo, bop, bop, bop. All right. Um, I've got enough. Yeah, it's, it's not your go-to, actually, on that one. You're not, uh, you haven't lived long enough. That's the problem. You don't have this, this, this catalog of, of songs I was trying to think of ones to be, like, something to do with, like, um... Speechless for the kid, but I could not think of a single the sound single of silence. Word. Ah, shit. <laughs> um, you say it best when you say nothing at all, except for he does it. He does it. <laughs> Don't speak. I know. Just watch. No, nope, we want you to speak. <laughs> Shotgun by George, George Ezra. That's the obvious one. There we go. Uh, talk by Coldplay. Let's talk. Let's talk. <laughs> uh, is there anything else I've got? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I want my MTV. Oh. Feels like a pretty good fit for it. There's that one. Say what you want to say and let the world find out. There we go. You know that one. Honestly, I want. Um, moving on, we've got uh, Cursed. I guess you can go ahead and be our, our standard bear for this one. Roll the women. Other than Grace, it's pretty crappy. <laughs> Yeah, Grace is in good. In my opinion. Grace is good. No, no, like, you're not wrong. Because, I mean, Claire, like I said, she's 
a doormat. Like she's a very generous person, but I think she's generous to a fault because she constantly forgives this person who just treats everyone, including herself poorly. And then, I mean, the other women in the film, the censor lady, and then any of the assistants, like they really, they don't have any strengths to, to them except for the fact that the censorship lady keeps coming to work, even though she's hurt. I'm like, uh, IBC has, IBC home. has no HR department is what I've learned. Mary Lou Renner. I mean, at least she gets to jump around. Jump, jump. Crisscross and good. Yeah. Um, what do we have here? Uh, for, yeah, I'm going to jump in on that. Uh, like they're both archetypal singular things. Like, so, so Claire is the girlfriend, perfect girlfriend. That's her role. She's perfect girlfriend. Um, Claire is perfect mom. Sorry, not Claire. Grace is perfect mom. Grace, yeah. To the point where she visits um, Calvin in a padded room. Jeez. Without shoes on because you know she can't have shoelaces. Yeah, but like she's like wearing like this like almost like um like a mother, like Teresa, mother Teresa like kind garb. of kind of garb. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's that. So I don't think it's very good. Also, the idea that Claire is just a prize that he wins. That's how he wins the movie. He gets Claire at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had the feeling that that uh, David's wife was supposed to be a bigger deal, like there was supposed to be more of a feud because he addresses her by name, yeah. Wendy, and then like it's like, but where does this come from? It, like we know that she dislikes him, but why? It Did it stem with, from this night? We don't know. Sorry, think. Go ahead. With Claire, there's this notion that the only reason she'll be a good person is because of Frank, which is weird considering the twenty years before. That's the only reason she'd be a good person, though. I mean, like she does yeah. so much charity work. So, Ex- exactly. I mean, clearly, she's a she is a good person. But one one mean line that he says about like scraping them off the side is it what set her off? It's a it's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but somehow Frank is it's like Frank. It's proven to be right. We don't know that he's done anything of any merit in his life beyond this. That made her go, yes, I need to change my life. Frank's clearly the kind of role model. I need to have from a from a yeah. life perspective. It was it was just the idea that his words were supposed to have negative impact about those around him. He was supposed to cause pain, but yeah, I don't really buy it. Um, let's take a look at this favorite character. Favorite character. Uh, let's start with Chris. Grace. Okay, I just like Grace. I mean, I didn't really. I mean, as good as the film is, there aren't too many characters that made you feel warm and gushy inside i liked her i liked the fact that she was a strong mom who's devoted to her kids and i felt the frustration when she went to the doctor and she's like i paid 200 dollars to find out you just don't speak like you know like i could just doctor doctor give me the news uh ethan elliot he's he just reminds me of I don't know if you've seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's just Charlie, oh, he's Charlie Day. If it, yeah, he's Char- like he he is the blueprint for what Charlie Day is now, and I, I can't. That's all I see. If they did this today, that's an interesting question. So Charlie yeah. Day is an easy Bobcat, right? Yeah. Is there anybody who can be Frank? Uh, Who's cynical enough? I don't know. Yeah. Uh. He's older, but like Vince Vaughn could probably do it. Vince Vaughn could do Ooh, this. That'd be good. That's a good shout. I'm gonna leave it there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Liam said his favorite character is. Uh, has he told me? I don't think he's told me. Never mind. He's got favorite element, but he doesn't give me a favorite character. 
All right. Um, I'm going to go with... I think I'm going to go with Carol Kane. She is fun. Ghost Christmas oh, Presence, oh, my favorite character. So kind. She's fun. Like my usual go-tos are Fred. Love Fred. Fred in this wasn't very strong. Um, Ghost of Christmas Present. Ghost of Christmas Past actually really quite funny in this, but I'll go Ghost of Christmas Present. Yeah. Um, but both of the ghosts are pretty good. Um, yeah. Not saying much, though. Uh, then we've got favorite moment or element. I'll start with Liam's to give people a chance to think of theirs. Liam's favorite moment. Scene. Really like the speech he makes at the end where he talks to the viewers and to Claire. Double meaning, not only for her, but also for the viewers. So that big speech is at the end. Uh, Ethan. Um, I like the, the, oh, Oh, no. Come back to me. I'm still thinking. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kirst? Hmm. You know, I kind of like the opening scene because it kind of sets you up with a lot of the the character development of Frank, right? Like, we see what his team did and what they wanted, like, what Christmas should be and the commercial should be. And then the difference that he, the different spin he put on it and then him firing Elliot right away and then Grace coming against him. So that opening scene, it like really showed you a lot of who was in the film, like a lot of character development in my opinion. Ethan. The first half of this is really good. I really enjoy the first half when we're seeing the characters until yeah. The the first half is is a really good setup for uh, A Christmas Carol. That's how I feel about the actual novella as well. The first half is stronger than the second half. Um, the conceit of the piece, the concept. Um, I like the idea of a TV studio as like this playground where you can tell this story. It's a little bit weird when they're doing a production of the story as it's unfolding, as we said. But I think it, I, I love this wacky world of TV production. I thought it was a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun with it today. A lot, a lot of fun with it today. So there is that. Um a grumble, a grumble. I'll start with Liam's. I don't like the ghoulishness side of things. Liam, it's a Christmas carol. But without <laughs> it, it doesn't hammer home the message. I agree. Um, I'll do my grumble, give you guys a chance to think. <laughs> that would be great if I actually thought of a grumble myself. <laughs> uh, for my grumble, I'm going to say we spend too long before the ghosts show up. I know you got to set this world up, but it feels like it was a gimmick they had to get through with the ghosts, and I'm not sure enough can happen. Um, yeah, like clearly Tiny Tim is Calvin. I'm not sure I got... It was good. It was good. It made my heart flutter when he says, God bless everyone. I could have used a little bit more with him to get there. Um we zoom through Ghost Christmas Present and Ghost Through Yet to Come way too quick. So there we go. It's the pacing, I guess, for me at the end of the day. Uh, Kirsten? Well, other than the violence part of uh, Ghost of Christmas Present, I would say the restaurant scene because it just didn't make sense. No, I agree. It's a bit stupid. Like it, as it was, like I rewound it a couple times to watch it because I'm like, am I missing something? Like what happened here that I that I didn't catch on to. So yeah, I, I don't like it when a movie loses me. Okay. Ethan? This film really fell apart in the second half. The second that um, 
Frank decides that he's just going to chew out Claire for wanting to help homeless people during the one of the coldest times of the year, the entire thing just fell apart into this weird, very weird amalgamation. And then it was like, we're going to rush, but then we're going to slow down for a second and then have the really strange speech. I didn't vibe with the speech either. The whole thing kind of just falls flat. Okay. Um... He said, I don't know if we've talked about this. Have you, uh, have you been, have you thought to look up any critics? Oh, I can do it if I need to, but it's I'll, just a I'll lot do of me. That. I'll do that now. Cause I've got, I can, oh no, I dropped my tea. Oh, there we are. Uh, I'll get, I'll get the review. Anybody's best role ever. Uh, Bill Murray is better in, uh, Groundhog Day to me. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I'm trying to have anybody else who would have been Karen the best. Allen's better in Raiders. Yeah, I don't even rate her in that, but she is better if it in Raiders. I like the dad when he's in um, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, uh, Bobcat. I don't know him in enough stuff. No, he's no, probably he's the one you TV went. Person. He's probably the one you you went out talking about. But yeah, yeah but I think that's what's good. He's he's more known now as like just a writer and director. Also, are we supposed right. to believe that he walks away like totally scot free for holding a bunch of people against their will with a shotgun? Right. Like, I don't care how much, put a little love in your heart, you guys do. <laughs> he held people against their will at literal gunpoint. <laughs> now, the the character of Bryce, I know him from something else being older, was, but, because I, I know I recognize him from something else. I don't else, know. But, yeah. I don't know. Um, there we are there. So, uh, Ethan, you've actually got another job to do before that. I don't know if you're ready for it, but it's time for... Age game, age game. Let's all play the age game. I'm looking to see if Liam gave me any sort of guesses. That would be totally cheating <laughs> if he did. So, yeah, there we are. What year uh, was this filmed in? 1997 to 98. Yeah. Uh, first off, it's 87 to 88. Don't worry, I made that mistake when I was searching the ages too. So the ages are all going to be 10 years off at some point. I believe it comes <laughs> out uh, for the Christmas season of 88. So, what's that? so first we have Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Uh, I'm just looking. Uh, Cursed, it came out November 23rd, 88. Thank you. But we just kind of consider 88 as like a general thing. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Bill okay. Murray. 32. Ooh, I was going to say 36. Uh, Cursed, he's closer. He's 38. Wow, really? Yeah. Remarkable. Well, I figure he's in his 70s now. <laughs> okay. He's uh, be. <laughs> Next, we have Karen Allen. Hmm. 30. 32. 37. Whoa! I know. Good for them. Usually there's like a, a big gap between like the male and female characters. Yeah, and I'll say this. She had a nice, like, I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm sorry, Karen Allen. She had a nice, like, every woman kind of appeal to her. Yeah. yeah. Like, she didn't look like a movie star. She looked like a, a nice woman you might work with. Yeah. 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 Uh, we have Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, jeez. I've been wrong with everything else. 31. Uh, he kind of looked like he was already losing hair. I'm going to say 37. 
26. <laughs> take that. Take that. Five years <laughs> off and still get the W on that one. I'll take it. Yeah. And then finally, we have uh, Alfred Wood at uh, Woodwood. Woodard. Woodard. Yeah. yeah. It's that second W that caught me. Yeah, I don't think it's Woodward. Is it? I think it's just Woodard. Is it? Because it's two it's W's, but I think it is Woodard. Okay. Um, I was going to think about how to spell her name, and I thought that's going to be going to tell me how old she is. No, it's just Woodard. There's only one W, buddy. Oh. Okay. Um, I just did a Google search and all of Phil did it. It didn't tell me the age. Uh, oh. That's difficult. I'm trying to remember Desperate Housewives and we're backwards. Uh, 31. Uh, I was going to say 32. And with that, we have a tie because she's 36. Oh, no, it's not a tie. Kirsty's got three. I've got one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, Come I just, on, Ethan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. So there, as we like to do for all our guests, I've done the Jimmy Fallon thing and, and you know, yielded the age game. <laughs> so there we go. The critics, uh, this got like 66%, I want to say, on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, 66 or 69, something like that. Yeah. And, 69, yeah. Oh, 69, really? Yeah. <laughs> Dudes. Um, and then on IMDb, uh, I don't know really what it got yet. Uh, I'll see. It was a six. Oh, no, it's a six point nine on on that. Ethan, are you sure it wasn't? Oh, I'm, oh, no, I'm, no, looking at, on. I'm on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It's six point nine on IMDb and sixty nine on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Look at that. They never add up that perfectly. So That's it great. is what it is. Um, so the question now is, what do the critics think? The good, but the bad, and the ebes. What do we got, Ethan? So first, we have Gene Siskel from the Chicago uh, Tribune, and he says. On balance, Bill Murray's lazy humor carries the movie up until his genuinely sweet relationship with an old girlfriend and gives it three out of four. He was uh, Ebes' partner on Cisco yeah. Go to the Movies. Uh, then we have Jonathan Rosenbaum who says, Tacky in the extremes, this self-congratulatory uh, 1988 film is an exercise in hypocrisy, indulging every form of Christmas exploitation that it pretends to attack, and many of the laughs are forced one out of four. Wow. And then, and then finally, yeah, to, to con- create Siskel and Ebes, <laughs> uh, he says, it was obviously intended as a comedy, but there is, uh, there, but there is little comic about it. And indeed, the movie's overriding emotions seem to be pain and anger and also gives it one out of four. Yeah, just as a follow-up, uh, he calls it the worst film adaptation of A Christmas Carol he's ever seen. Wow. Uh, I would challenge that later on. There's been some really bad ones Jim that have come Carey out one. in the last. Oh, oh. Jim, you know what? The Jim Carrey one's grown on me, actually. Um, Has it? Yeah. Um, I would go with. There's a there's a Kelsey Grammer one where it's a musical where it's <laughs> atrocious. Um, and some other ones. Um, but, there's, a, there's a Michael Sheen one where it's set on a train, which came out last year, which is. It's just a strange concept. It. Yeah, it doesn't find its footing at all. At least this one kind of did. Let's do some last critics. Um, writer Michael Donahue later said that uh, Donner didn't understand comedy, omitting the script's subtler elements for louder and faster moments. He estimated only 40% of the original script made it into the film and the surviving content was twisted. Um, this is despite the fact that the final cut of the film ran for 97 minutes. 
1990 interview with Roger Ebert, Ebert asked Bill Murray if he had any disagreements with Donner. Murray replied, only a few. Every single minute of the day. That could have been a really, really great movie. The script was so good. There was maybe one take in the final cut movie that is mine. We made it so fast. It was like doing a movie live. He kept telling me to do things louder, louder, louder. I think he was deaf. In a later interview, Murray said he and Donner had different visions for the type of film Scrooge would become. I didn't there was only particularly only one take in the official one that was his, as we said. And finally, Elaine May did an uncredited rewrite on the script. In a 1988 interview, Bill Murray praised May, saying she really has a major coconut on the top of her head. It sort of turned out to be her movie. She took the script home one night and rewrote the whole thing one night. So there. I, I would say you could tell. Yeah, there we go. Uh, let's take in just because it is because Bill Murray thinks it's a great rewrite doesn't even mean it's yeah. a great rewrite. It just means that it was something that Murray it probably freed Murray up to do more of what he wanted potentially. So uh, let's take a look at some of the other situations. I put out a fleece as I am known to do, and I asked, "This is a great film, good film, okay film, or poor film?" Forty-one percent called this a great film. This is where I'll again temper and go, we tend to skew male heavy on the podcast, on the Twitter, on all those things. Um, so to that for what you will, 29% call it a good film, 24% call it an okay film, only 6% call it a poor film. Hmm. Um, Georgia passed along some of the Patreon notices. We are recording this just a touch early, so if someone gets in between now and we usually would have recorded, I will add it in post. But what I have here is, uh, I've got one from Katie McRae. says, one of my favorite Christmas movies uh, is A Christmas Carol, and there are many, many versions and adaptations. This is one I do not care for. I realize the writers were attempting to modernize the story, but it doesn't work for me. My top three favorite versions, for the record, uh, Patrick Stewart's version in 1999, the musical version with Kelsey Grammer in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> and Disney's version with stop motion starring Jim Carrey in 2009 and then gives it a ranking. Um, I've got one from Reverend Bruce. I hate to be a Grinch at Advent, but Scrooge is a dreadful film. To begin with, the totally annoying presence of Bill Murray's fired employee, Elliot Loudermilk, renders it almost oh, no. unwatchable. This is how I feel recording with Ethan on a weekly basis, Reverend Bruce. Oh, there's <laughs> truth in that. And it's a completely not funny comedy. Sterile means spirited and lacking in warmth. I love a Christmas Carol films, and most do justice to the source material. Scrooge doesn't. Bill Murray doesn't portray the comic dislikability of Scrooge, nor the warm elements of his redemption. Scrooge is so bad. I almost reviewed It's a Wonderful Life instead in protest. Bah humbug. <laughs> and gives it his rating. Uh, then we've got Help Me Out here, friend of the podcast, Dwayne Smith. Dwayne Smith. Who says, I'm so happy you're doing Scrooge. Oh. It's a shame Georgia isn't on, as I would have loved to have heard her, heard her. I would love to hear her thoughts. It's probably my favorite Christmas film, but a lot of that is tied up in nostalgia because I love Bill Murray. This is Bill Murray's film. He drives it. It's all his energy, his wit, his brilliant delivery, his overall presence. No one doesn't like him. I watch it every Christmas and quote it endlessly over the Christmas period, which obviously delights my family. It's probably the first to subvert the Christmas Carol story. It's paced perfectly. Uh, the jokes keep on coming. The ghosts are all brilliant, with the ghost of Christmas present being my favorite. I love how she assaults him, especially with the toaster. Karen. Oh, Karen. Oh, no. I don't Karen know. Yeah, I just don't know if Georgia gave me. Oh, here it is. 
Karen Allen is perfect as Claire, so sexy yet understated and cute at the same time. Murray delivers the perfect speech, and at the end he's redeemed. We get God bless us everyone, and the room gets dusty real quick. I love it. And gives it a ranking. So there we go. Uh, so just the three <laughs> rankings there. I'll let you know how it adds up in the uh, <laughs> in the edit. Uh, then let's go really quickly to our fledgling fandom. The fledgling fandom, very light today, actually, which does surprise me. After such overwhelming support, we didn't seem to get the usual sort of feedback we usually would. We've got something from Josh from my next favorite movie who goes, you've underestimated this one, Ian. Distant third? Really? Because that was my prediction as to where it would land. Yeah. Uh, it's excellent. Probably I wasn't, I wasn't be- saying what the quality of the film was. <laughs> I was guessing what people would vote for. Um, it's probably my favorite Richard Donner film. Bill Murray is fantastic, and Carol Kane's an absolute delight. Hope you enjoy this one as much as many others do. Uh, quick question, Ethan. This or Lethal Weapon? Lethal Weapon, and I'm not the biggest Lethal Weapon fan. Yeah, as me we either. Found out, like I, I don't even love his version of Superman. I, th- I, I, I think it's a fine film, but even then, like Superman's leagues above this. I'd agree. Cursed uh, this or Lethal Weapon. A lethal weapon. Okay. Uh, Carlo. <laughs> Twitter now says Carlo Ho Ho. Yeah, I, saw I, that. I know I saw this back in the day, but I barely remember it. I do remember loving Bill Murray and it need to revisit it soon. So I'm going to go back to Liam so I can go ahead and get his information out here because I think all that's left for us to do is say, if you like this film or episode, you'll like. Well, we did Muppet Christmas Carol. That feels like an obvious thing to look at. We've also done Groundhog Day. That feels like one you should be looking at if you want a much more, I think, effusively positive. The only thing we trashed in that was Andy McDowell. (laughs) <laughs> everything else we really like in that movie you have a cynical bill murray who learns his lesson <sighs> after dealing with time shenanigans yeah that movie. yeah yeah same film yeah uh <laughs> i love Groundhog Day. um and also i think we were joined on that one by um oh my word i can't believe i'm blanking on his name i, I do apologize uh, i'll just say we were joined by a very special guest on that one and see if i can remember it at another point we're, he's the host of Pod Jerky. I'll say that much. Uh, I really do apologize. I just can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, so if I find Liam's notes here, there we are. Tom from Bill Jerky. Sorry? Tom. Was it Tom? Yeah. Tom. Tom. Yeah. Excellent. Go listen to Pod Jerky. They do some great stuff. Um, very, very, very comprehensive. They do all sorts of things. So... Um, Let's take a look now at uh, what would what are we given this? Let's start with I'll, I'll do Liam's first uh, rating. Bill Murray's just playing his deadpan self, but it fits in really well in his role as Frank Cross, as he's cross and negative all the time until the end. I've always loved the sarcastic humor; it's a very British way of seeing things. Uh, Liam, I would say this: like other countries were allowed to have sarcasm, dude. <laughs> Like, Americans consider Canadians sarcastic. I don't think sarcasm is only linked to, to, to Great Britain. Um, but also, there's a lot of slapstick, which is very American, so it translates well to both sides of the Atlantic. The visual effects for this movie are not the best, but for its age, is a certain charm. Yeah, I don't have any issue with the special effects in any part of this movie. I think they're really good, considering. Yeah. Um, and you can forgive that in 2022. So I'm going to go with a very strong seven people walking off the Titanic. What is he talking about? I don't know. That's a second reference. Is there a Titanic joke in this? 
I feel there must be must be something that we've missed. I don't know. I might see if I can find before we get off this this call here. Uh, while you guys are doing your stuff, I'm going to go ahead and look up and see if I can find the screenplay and search for the word Titanic because I feel like there's something <laughs> we've missed. It's a mistake of Titanic proportions. Uh, Kirst, why don't you go ahead as our guest and, and share your perspective? Well, I'm going to give it five. Can I give a half, Mark? Uh, yeah, you can do halves. Yeah. I'm going to give it 5.5 pounds of venison out of 10. Oh, there we um, go. I did have some parts that I really enjoyed. I did love some of the play on words, um, as we discussed earlier. I mean, I do enjoy A Christmas Carol. This was definitely not my favorite version of it. I liked the going back and forth onto set of uh, the TV show, but um, I didn't appreciate the the verbal assaults. And um, I think it could have been told better. I think if they just maybe spent a bit more time on that final screenplay instead of the one evening, they could have maybe changed some things up so that it would have been a little bit more... It could still be dark without being mean yeah that if that's fair uh so yeah that's my that's mine 5.5 okay and uh ethan i remember liking this a lot more the last time i watched it which might have been either last year or the year before and i'm starting to think that might have just been because i was in a very cynical place in 2020 um i don't know this didn't land for me the same way that i that it used to when i was younger um, and I, I think also cause we're just dissecting this stuff a lot more. I'm able to see, oh, this is, this falls apart and this pacing is really strange. Uh, I had a, I'm going to say the thing we all, I had a different score in my head when I got to the halfway mark and I, I, it's bumped down a significant portion than I was expecting it to, but it has some festive stuff. So I'm going Six mice with glued antlers on their head out of ten. Wow. All right. My go. This is a really hard film to do. Yeah. I love the source material. And then if something's not faithful to the source material, I think we've seen this about something else before. How much do I penalize it if it's not faithful to the source material? I don't think I, I, I can do that. But also, I got to realize they're, they're, they're living off the legacy of that source material. Um, I think it comes down to how much do you like Bill Murray? Because yeah. this, this is a this is a this is a Bill Murray show, mm-hmm. and it's a Bill Murray show where it seems like he had a pretty mediocre script and then riffed on that anyway. <sighs> there are moments of Christmas magic. That bit about you know feed me see more in the whole thing. Like, we're just the people over here. The, the put a little love in your heart. It's movie magic. The God blesses everyone is movie yeah. magic. But then what do you do with the rest of it? It's really really difficult. And characters that should have meant more, and they, I think people oh, misremember how much Bobcat Goldthwait, who probably is the breakout of this film, he's, there's not very much of him at all actually in it. No. So, and I don't think we're in on the joke for long enough. And if we are, it's a mean joke. And I don't know if I want to be in on a mean joke. So, I'm going to give it six and a half attempts to crazy glue antlers on the top of a mouse's head out of 10. 
I don't know if I stole someone's thing, did I? Yeah, that was that was yeah. mine. Just oh, was like, it yours? Oh, okay. Yeah. Just ever so slightly changed. So if, if I, anything, you've kind of just done what Scrooge did with the Christmas Carol. That's it. There you I, go. Yeah, there we I go. was looking while you were talking. I was looking up the, the uh, Titanic. The Titan- I can't find it. I can't find a single reference to the Titanic in that script. So we're going to have to ask okay. Liam, what are you on about with Titanic in this? <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. I didn't catch Did he watch it? Has he, has he misremembered a Titanic joke in this? the HMS... Um, the SS no. Minnow? Yeah. I don't Did know. Did they the Titanic then? I don't know. Six and a half years of getting a bath towel for a Christmas bonus out of ten. <laughs> there we are. So there we go. So it's time that we sort of dried this one off and put it away. Um... Cursed, first off, thank you very much for giving up uh, several hours of your day on very little notice. Appreciate that. No problem. There we go. And then all of us left to do is talk about what we're doing next week. And we know what we're doing next week. You've already announced it. Uh, we yeah. are doing the BFE Christmas party. And the BFE Christmas party this year is Rocky Four. So if you are out there and you haven't recorded your message to wish us a Merry Christmas and a happy new year and all that stuff. You can do that still. You've got one more day. Yeah. If you get to me by Wednesday at bestfilmforpod at gmail.com, that's bestfilmforpod at gmail.com, uh, we will record that, react to it, and have a merriest of Christmases. Da-da, da-da, da-da. Um, it, it, it's really fun when we hear from other pods, when we hear from, from listeners, things of that nature. A couple of listeners got a hold of me and said, it is coming, I promise you. That's good. Just please remember, I got to have time to put it all together before we record on, 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 is it Wednesday morning? Is it th- it's Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Thursday morning. We're yeah. recording Thursday morning British time. So don't think if you live in the States, you got till Thursday morning American time or Canadian time to get that in. You don't. You really, really You're don't. Like Wednesday evening. That's right. And just a quick note to go, we never actually updated as to what the Patreon vote was. Patreon vote comes out as a 4.66. We had a pair of twos for Reverend and Mrs. McRae to each, and then totally counterpointed by Dwayne Smith's 10 out of 10. So put it all in the wash. Neither of you really probably enjoy what you got, but the voice of the people, 4.66, close to the curse even anybody else. But clearly, clearly a film that has a variety of outcomes depending on uh, on on what side of the ideological fence. I think I'm trying to say ideological fence you sat on there. So there we go. What we're going to say here then finally is a big thank you one more time to our Patreon backers. Reverend hey. Bruce, Julian, Hermes, Dwayne Smith, Katie McRae, Ian Davies, Lena Oberholzer, Chris Peterson, Randall Silva, the Geekmeister, Nate the Great, Cheesy, Andy Dixon, Holly Callen, Richard, Ryan Kuketz, and James DeGuzman, our newest member of the hey. Patreon pool. Hoping I got your name right. I'm doing it from memory. So... <laughs> Uh, with that in mind, all that's left. Hey, my niece is on the camera here. Hello, Felicity. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, so outside of that, all that's left for us to do is put a bow on this. So please join us next week. We'll be releasing it, I think, Christmas Eve. So you'll get it a lot earlier than usual, and then you'll have about a week and a half till the next episode. So please join us on Saturday. <laughs> when we release Rocky Four, if you can change and I can change, then maybe everybody can change. <laughs> Four best film ever. Ah, uh, 
uh, but Ethan. Hey, and you know what? Sometimes you get reviews that work, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you think you're aboard a Titanic, and sometimes you realize you're on the SS Minnow. <laughs> we'll catch you on the flippity flap. The flippity flip flop. How's brutal? Live again, Mercury Live. I'd like to tell you about things that would blow your mind, Scotty. Starships run with engines the size of a walnut. Walnuts run with engines the size of starships. A man barely alive. We can rebuild him. We can make him better, bigger, stronger, faster, the king of Spain! Spain!